Welcome to Memphis Machine, a Muddy Pig production. I'm Jonathan Bass. And I'm Carl Casperson, and together we're looking to show off the creative sights and sounds of Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. We got to sit down in this episode with uh, Dr. Jack Cooper. Yeah, who is the chair of the jazz department at the University of Memphis, uh, multi-read. Yes. Gentleman, player, yes. sorry. Um, composer and arranger extraordinaire right right about the time i moved to memphis he was just wrapping up fundraising for his um charles, charles ives, ives project yeah that was a killer project it's it's a remarkable project of him combining his favorite hits from the 20th century somewhat avant-garde composer charles ives and setting that music to a big band format with killer players great arrangements uh he also um travels extensively has um he had a residency uh, in for the Berlin Jazz Orchestra, arranging for Young Voices of Brandenburg. Um, Still maintains that residency, I believe. Yes. He's, yeah, he's kind of yes. Um, but his perspective on the Memphis scene, his his is informed by just being all over the place and, and, and working with all sorts of professionals and students, and um, just really enjoyed our time sitting down, kind of getting his bird's eye view of uh, what the music music scene is like today here and abroad hope you enjoy boom welcome to memphis machine dr jack cooper jack yes dr jack mr all of it right all of it at one point it was sergeant (laughs) (laughs) professor of jazz studies at memphis university yeah very cool man thank you so much for being with us today we are upstairs of course in the uh, the addendum to Ernestine and Hazel's uh, Nate's, Nate's bar, Nate's bar, and it is not ninety degrees. Oh man, it's it's taking Holy a turn. Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> so <Yes>. another, <laughs> another big thanks to Ernestine and Hazel's for putting up with us and, and letting us uh, exploit their space. Um, so hey, so uh, we usually typically start off with a little bit of biography. You know, sure. how, how did you make your way to the Memphis scene? Well, um, I, I guess I can back up a little bit before that, is that um, I grew up in Los Angeles, and um, I got a couple of degrees there, one on clarinet, and played a lot of jazz, and studied with guys that were working in LA, and uh, studied with a guy who was with The Tonight Show, with The Johnny Carson Show. Okay, this um, is weird. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, yeah, what, what, gotta, what time era? What, what, what era was this? This is a late 70s, early 80s. Oh, man. Okay, I got to study with Joel DiBartolo. There you go. From The Tonight Show. What, yeah, I know that? Joel. I played a couple of gigs with him. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. All right, so, so continue on. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I, and I, I studied with Bob Curnow, who, who was the staff arranger and the A&R man for the Stan Kenton Orchestra. I studied a lot with him. And then several other people out there uh, studied classical composition. I did my master's in composition. And then I moved into New York. I, I had a great opportunity given to me because I... Uh, Audition for the uh, sax sax section for the um, U.S. Army Jazz Knights, who are stationed at West Point, which Mm. is only 35 minutes north of Manhattan. So I kind of got to take advantage of several things at once. I was touring with them, and then I was working in New York, all the way from Manhattan, all the way up to Albany, you know, on my off time. Um, And then I also did more study out there. I studied with uh, Manny Album, who was with RCA, and studied composition with him. So I was there for six years, and then after that, went back and did my doctorate at the University of Texas. I was in Austin, while the whole uh, kind of uh, Western swing, that whole thing was going really well. 
and I was working with two bands there, did my doctorate, and then I got the job in 1998 at the University of Memphis. I got uh, the appointment for uh, being the director of jazz studies. So I've been at the University of Memphis for about 20 years now, and um, been doing all kinds of stuff, and you know, so the, I guess the rest is history in a way. So yeah, that's great. You know that that um. Go ahead, Jonathan. You're no, I was going to say, uh, going back to, to L.A. And, and you know, getting your getting your start and everything. Can what what was it like then trying to play there and and making the rounds there? Well, John, it wasn't easy. It's yeah. I mean, there there's and it, and it's tough there because there are a lot of guys competing for only a few gigs, mm-hmm. and that's why for me, um, the opportunity came. I I had also I for me I had all always followed groups like the Airmen of Note and the Navy Commodores and stuff like that. And um, I knew that the both academies had big bands, too, attached to their concert bands. And so I kind of kept my eye out for that also. So, yes, if I had stayed in Los Angeles, I probably would have tried to compete for those jobs as a woodwind doubler and especially as a writer and arranger because I was trying to do that. Um, but... The opportunity came to go to New York, and and you know what? It was a really good decision for me because, um, well, as a as a kind of a side tangent is that growing up in Los Angeles, a lot of people think that's kind of the center of the universe, and it's not. It's another (laughs) end of the universe. (laughs) Well, I know, I know, and it, it, but it, but but I tell my, but I tell my students that I tell people that quite openly. Um, while there are a lot of things that happen there, and certainly there's things that I've done that flow through there, and and pe- a lot of people I know, um, it was a good decision for me to go ahead and move out of New or move out of Los Angeles to New York. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then you you find out a lot of things about yourself and a lot of things about the world, and and I really enjoyed being in New York. So, what was the opportunity? Good. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, well, it was being with the, the 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 that touring big band with the U.S. Army. Okay, and I was in the sax section. I was one of the tenor players, and then also kind of what got me the job is be, I became one of the two staff arrangers for the group. I while I was there, I did probably ninety charts. Oh yeah, yeah, I did a yeah. lot of writing. Well, see, and the thing is, is that that opportunity, and it wouldn't have happened anywhere else for me to become a staff arranger for our Columbia Pictures Publishing and then Warner Brothers because they knew that the guys that do what I do, like in Washington, D.C., and do those jobs, um, have to produce a lot of material in a very short amount of time. So that's the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew that because Sammy Nestico had had that opportunity. Pat Williams had had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, Gosh, uh, it's a list of people that had done that kind of staff writing and or touring with the touring bands and then had gone into, um, you know, going into... Hollywood or New York or something like that. And for me, it was really good um, because when I went to go study with Manny, he saw that I had the job I had and he said, well, it's great that you have that, but you're doing a lot of commercial arranging. And and he was very encouraging because he saw my composing and arranging. He said, you know, if you just went ahead for a couple of years, did the doctorate, and then were able to get a college teaching job, you could kind of call 
your shots and be able to pl- you know write anywhere from symphonic music to to uh, sonatas and you guys probably have seen I I I, I have I've been writing a lot yeah. of chamber music yeah you know I, yeah, I don't the, think the violin sonata I yeah heard not too long yeah. ago and great. and I'm yeah. very proud of that but see yeah. my job affords me to be able to do that right you know I love teaching. My, my mom was a teacher. I kind of knew about teaching and all the kind of stuff you have to deal with administratively, like we taught you, right. you know, at the, at the University of Memphis. There's, there's some unsavory things that you have to deal with. But I'm, I'm fine with that because the overall job affords me a lot of time. You know, and especially now with all the connections that you guys have seen I've made in, in Germany with the Berlin Jazz Orchestra over there over the past, past about five years, four years. Um, uh, I have time off. My contract mm-hmm. allows me time off. So, um, you know, all in all, it was a good decision, and I, I and I don't regret Manny pushing me in that direction. You know, because I I, I don't think I would be able to do. I get I get asked a lot. You know, you you're doing all kinds of writing. This kind of writing, chamber music. You're doing big band writing. You're doing orchestral writing for like the Memphis Symphony and other people. And it's like, well, my job affords me to be able to do that. I'm not. I, I, Manny told me his the, his famous quote was to me. He said, "Man, do you, you don't want to write Pepsi commercials for the rest of your life, do you?" <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, but but you know, yeah. there's there there's a thing to that, and and yeah, no, I I really that wasn't really super desirable mm-hmm. for me, you know. I mean, every once in a while, sure, I see, you know, maybe one or two friends that break into doing a couple of film scores and stuff, and I I sure I you know in another life I guess I would do that, but um, you know, I'm pretty satisfied with my career, and especially satisfied with well, I mean, like I told you, is that you know once we're done here talking um i gotta go back home and i've got a a big commission with the new zealand jazz orchestra and it really is my job that has made that connection and and those things to have happen and it's a it's a big commission uh cd that it's already slated for production in april so you know i i can get stuff done fast and it's not a pepsi commercial yeah, right, right. you know, so and not to get sidetracked, but uh, you you actually have a former student that is in New Zealand, or is it is Australia? Well, yeah, uh, that's Dave that's yeah, Lissick? Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave Lissick. Lissick, and he did his doctorate with me at the University of Memphis, and um, you know, those have all been really good connections. I, again, I, I can't. Um, I can't downplay the connections that I've made at, at the University of Memphis and kind of in the academic field and academic artistic field. I don't want to say academic because really there's a lot of artists I come in contact with who, right. who accomplish degrees. Right. So um, Dave is one of them, and he has his own record label now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's done well. And through that record label and grants he, he gets in New Zealand, and they're very... Uh, they're very generous with grants because um, they they need their professors to travel. Every, obviously, you have to. Every, everything's flying in and out. Right. You, you don't get to drive. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. There's no driving from New Zealand. It's right. all it's all flights. So it's all expensive. But yeah, he's one of them, and there are several. There's several others. You know, Jeremy Warren would be another one. The drummer. Yeah, he's been killing it. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah. No, he's fantastic. He's Don Braden's drummer right now, and I'm very proud of that. And and that's another thing is that, um, teaching is not as you know, teaching is not for everybody. You know, you guys know it's, and 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 it's unfortunate because I see that every once in a while. It's like, well, gosh, that that's just not working for this person, and or. 
that person is not working for us in terms of teaching for us oh, wow. somehow. And um, you kind of have to split that connection. And, um, and and it's nothing personal against someone, but it's just they're not, they're kind of not cracked up for, for that thing and they don't have the patience for it and they don't right. know. But But I grew up, watching a 30-year teacher and watching her having to, having to deal with a number of problems. So, um, you know, it's it, it's not that easy. Yeah. You know, you just don't go into teaching. So, But for me, it's been the right combination of things in terms of both my artistic career and uh, and as, you know, as and as a teacher. So, you know, I, I can't complain. So, so with arriving uh, to Memphis in 98, uh, you've seen, you've seen uh, the city... A lot of change. The city bounce all over the place. A and, lot of and, change, yeah. And um, and then also being afforded to travel like you have, and uh, um, you know around the world. How how what what's how has your view of Memphis changed or grown or what like where where, where are you at with uh, like your view of Memphis today? Well, I'm I, overall it's good, but it is a mixed bag because um, I I I think. Um, Gosh, it's hard because I'm going to kind of hit five different points, probably mm-hmm. five or six different points by answering that question. Um, from where I started in 98, still back over this way, I'm pointing back towards Beale Street, <laughs> um, The right in back of Beale Street, you know, where the FedEx Forum is back here, yeah. it was still burnout buildings from the riots from the, the Dr. King murder. You know, right. I mean, that's that was still yeah. left over. Wow. That was a visible, tangible legacy. You know, and and for me, you know, that's uh, that's that's very tough. I mean, I, I not to not to get into the politics of it or anything. No, but, it's a reality. But it's, it's, yeah. yeah, well, and and the thing is, is for for uh, you know, we were the four kids in our family were raised reading Dr. King and a lot of other people, obviously, and he was a huge hero in our family, as as Robert Kennedy was. And But I don't want to get too far into that. But but the point is, is that coming here, you still have that tangible reality that's mm-hmm. sitting there. And, um, you know, it was, it was a little bit, they, they were still fighting some things in terms of that stuff. And finally, gladly, some investors came in and they started uh, read doing the city um now you know it's been a little bit tough because i think there are that that's been some very positive things there have been some very positive things on the campus of the university of memphis in terms of new buildings and cross cross our fingers knock on wood i hope our new building's going to go in oh yeah in the next two years that's fantastic i hope so um but you know the one thing that i will say that i'm critical of is that there are a number of musical acts that I've hear, heard come out of Memphis, and when you when you talk to people, certain people who are more in charge or have the resources to put into things from the past, they still kind of talk about Elvis and uh-huh. some other things and and stacks and and, and that's not bad stuff. But the problem is, is that when I go out to a club and I hear a very good musical act that I think is very much Southern rock, pop, has a really neat combination of things, I'm thinking we should be pushing that or Uh whoever it is that can push that in that direction, they should have some backing. I mean, 
you know, I, I and I'll be very upfront. One of the things, one of the people who left, who's a good friend of mine, is Charlie Wood. Mm-hmm. He's doing wildly well in London. Right. I mean, he's been there for a few years, and it he just kind of hit a glass ceiling here, and there was just not much more he could do, and that's unfortunate. I, I'm not I'm not lamenting it mm-hmm. necessarily, necessarily, but but it is the reality. And and, um, and for our listeners, Charlie Wood is. Charlie Wood does does what? Oh, organ. He's a right. he's he's an organist, a world class organist, and kind of uh, well, he's a songwriter, a very good one, and they're kind of uh, Mose Allison type okay. of yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. Right. He did that, and he had that gig at King's Palace for it was years and years. And I used to go sit in with him. That right. was one of the first things I did is sitting in with Charlie, and I do that about every other week, every third week, or something like that. Right. And there's just not a unique. There are not unique voices like that that get promoted so much. So I guess you know there's there's a couple of different things to think about. I mean there's you know I, I mean there's a number of things that that happen in Memphis that are good and mm-hmm. and I think there are a number of opportunities that are here and I tell kids that come here about those opportunities and what's going on. Um, but they like Jeremy talking yeah, about Jeremy sure. earlier. He took advantage of. Excuse me. He took advantage. He came in from Little Rock, and he made his own way. And the reason why he was able to transition and move to New York as one of our former students is we told him, well, you're going to have to go out and get it. And and it's out there, but you're going to have to work hard at it. You know. And he had that gig at the Westin, that jam session yeah. at the Westin for a number – it was about three or four years or something like that. And it was successful, and it went well. And eventually, he – he kind of hit a glass ceiling too, and he wanted to play. And and I mean, obviously, as a drummer, he's just at a world class level. He really is, and, yeah. right? And he wanted to be surrounded by more and more of those people, and he did. He made the transition. Again, I don't know if it's. I, I'm not saying that's a complaint or a lament or anything like that, but certainly he is very grateful at the things that he was given by the people in Memphis and the opportunities. He's very grateful of that. He and I talk about that a number of times, and we really helped him out to make sure he completed his jazz studies degree and his uh, music education degree. He he ended up getting two degrees. Oh, great. Right. So... um, Is is it similar to... like I'm I'm just... just occurred to me when you know, I spent about twenty years in St. Louis, and St. Louis has a great jazz legacy. You know, Clark Terry, Miles, right, and 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 modern players like Chris Thomas, who's been playing with Brian uh, Blade, right, uh, uh, um, Greg Tardy, and um, and people would ask me like, so tell me about St. Louis, so what the music scene? I said, you know, overall, I feel like it's a great incubator. Well, right, you know, we, you know, we, like, we talked like, to Richard Cushing and and season one, our right? our first very first episode. And, you know, we talked about this very thing, and, and he mentioned that the, the industry is just not here. And so, it, it seems like... I think like, Richard's accurate. I know Richard well. Yeah, I've known it, him for it, it years. It just seems like we need to figure out a way to... to I mean, being an incubator is cool, and it's good. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing. But we got to find some way to maybe transition to, you know... Well, to further... I, I mean, to further answer your question, Carl, the thing is, is that it's it really is about finding the sound that's from here anywhere from you know a southern blues a modern southern blues rock down through cajun sound and and so on and 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 someone backing and saying let's 
put this person out on YouTube a lot. Let's put this person out on the road a lot. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, and that there's got to be some kind of backing that way. Um, because any, excuse me, any act that would come out of, uh, uh, Seattle or Austin, Texas or Denver or New York or Chicago, that's what happens. Someone's got to be able to have the 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 uh, foresight to be able to look down the road and do that. And and that's and that is my a concern. It's been a concern of mine, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and and I do say that as as is is a Jeremy Warren and and several others as they. They yes, they're part of the incubation process here, but then they end up they end up you know taking off somewhere and they they do what they do yeah. and I and and, and I, you know I don't want to sound maudlin or anything like that, but it no. is but it but it is what it is and there's a, there is a I I you don't the good thing about it is that you don't get a Jeremy Warren without that individual, that individual musician being able to go to college, learn the things of, you know, in a very organized way that, and at the same time, every Wednesday and Sunday, he is the, the main drummer at his church, and he's getting that, yeah, right. you know, and that's a, that's a huge thing. That's a, he, he has a feel for the drums and to lay out time and to listen for time, like very few players do. Okay. And that said, when you go to when you go to New York, when I talk to people in Berlin or in Munich, is that they talk about, well, we know the drummers, the James Williamses or the uh, uh, Tony Reedises or or Jeremy in this case, and that's a unique player and they get that from that unique place, you know. So I you know, how do you I mean that's 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 a strange thing. I you know, it's it's kind of chicken or an egg you know, kind yeah. of thing. What what comes first, and how do you approach it, and yeah. how do you how do you deal with that? And and I'm not sure I know. You know, I just know I've had these conversations. I mean, I'm I'm you know, I mean, you guys know I'm a member of Neris, and those are conversations when I was on the 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 board, the Memphis board of, you know, what should we back, and right. what should I? I don't know. I I you know, it's it's tough. So so it's a it's a multifaceted answer to your question i don't know if i have just one answer <laughs> for you you know mm -hmm. what i mean sure so over the 20 years i've been here um I've, I've seen a lot of different things and um you know i i i hope at some point maybe a young younger entrepreneur a younger person who has some money wants to move on and they want to back something like that and hear something that's coming up and it's not just the same old same old it is truly a combination of things that's uniquely a memphis and a, a, a sound that comes from this this part of the country i'm, I'm going to pull a larry king and just toss you a softball a real <laughs> <laughs> but okay, okay so so but but be, okay so being you're, you're in academia of course and, and and you've continued to stay in academia and 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 you've studied and you continue to study Let, let's talk about what what does a jazz education afford someone uh in in wanting to participate in in, in the american experience of being a musician um you know whereas like how made, you, I'm sorry. No, you know, to dispel the thing of like, oh, you know, you go, you go to school, man, you're going you're gonna to lose the soulfulness of, of being a player or whatever kind of pushback you might have. But if anyone has seen the Quincy Jones documentary, you could see right. what a jazz education right. can, yeah, can, can afford. Can I add to that, actually? Please. And 
and, and this might not be the question you're asking, but uh, add to that by saying that to, to that student who is not necessarily interested in jazz. Well, okay, I have my take on all of this. I was, I was again, I was raised by a, a really good pianist. She was an educator. And so, you know, I'm going to reveal a secret. I mean, you know this, is that I, my first degree is actually a music education clarinet degree, though... Though, while I was in school, I was taking arranging lessons and taking the arranging classes and improv classes and stuff like that. Um, so, I, I think that in this day and age, um, it, is that I try and have the students look at their degree as flexible as possible, even with how expensive the degrees are now, mm-hmm. and they've gotten much more expensive. But I try and get them to open their minds a little bit about some different things that are really practical. What I was learning in school, I was getting the music education degree so that I would have something an employable degree. Because to be br- brutally honest with you, a jazz studies degree doesn't have the accreditation thingy, the the right. approval, the teaching uh, rubric to it. So you can't really walk into a uh, a public school and get a teaching job with right. it. You you have to go. You would have to go back and get the accreditation. So um, my my first advice is to ask the student if they come to kind of interview with me, is ask them about that. Well, have you really thought about? the degrees and what they are, and actually the music education degree is the only one that applies paperwork-wise to that. You know, when you start to get beyond that, and if they say, well, no, I have my heart set on playing, I want to do A, B, C, and D, and it's like, man, you better be in the practice room eight hours a day. Right. You better take what you get from the classroom and your private teachers, and you better start Get in the in the in the practice room, and then on the weekend, go out to a couple of jam sessions and start applying it. So, to kind of answer your question, is that there, it's a it's a it's a a rounded kind of. There's not just one way to this in terms of what's going on, and and I tell them by the I, I what I expect by the end of their degree when they do their senior recital, it's like you better be able to play at this level right. and be able to show a competency at this level. It's not about the piece of paper. It's about your competency and be able being able to go out there. I mean, we've added more degrees. We've added the commercial music degree, and it, it and it adds a lot of singers to to our program, um, and especially singers. I mean, if a, if a singer, I, I'll give you an extreme. If we get a number of singers that come in audition, they they, they read poorly quite poorly right and um that that's just it is what it is i'm not i'm not trying to make any commentary on it um but um by the end of a music degree they've got to be able to read and they've got to be able to me go into a studio session and read down a commercial or or backing vocals or something and be able to and be able to get through that they they have to or or our degree is pretty pretty poor it's not worth the money right. uh-huh. it's printed on you know the, the the paper it's printed on it's not worth that money so i mean i i don't know if it that answers your question necessarily but but in terms of a jazz studies degree i look at it really as the competency rather than the piece of paper and the competency is a is a is a, a whole circle of things that i i feel that the person has to be going for and they got to right. fall in love with it 
They have to fall. If they aren't obviously in love with this, then they. I highly suggest to them, you need to get another degree, and you, and that won't prevent you from playing in the ensembles. I mean, one of my uh, close friend of mine from Los Angeles, he's one of the top call trumpet players in L.A., and he has an engineering degree from Cal Poly Pomona. And that's just the way it is. He just yeah. did a lot of study on trumpet and played in rehearsal bands and then university big bands while he was in school. And I and we went to the same community college together, and then he went to Cal Poly, and now I went to Cal State L.A. So um, in terms of that, I mean, who's to say? Right. I mean, the guy has an he he has a mechanical engineering degree, sure. yeah. right? So I, I I mean, so I mean it. There there's a lot of different facets to it. There's a lot of different things that you need to do and be aware of if you're going to go into music full time. I you know there's a lot there's a lot of things. I mean I I probably wouldn't make it just as a player. I do a number of things. I'm a I'm I'm I I play. I write and arrange. I you know I teach. So you know and I like doing all those things. Mm-hmm. If you don't like doing any one of them, it kind of starts to narrow the field quite a bit. And you better start thinking. Well, are you going to be able to augment your income this way or this way or this way? Right. So, I mean even. I, I, even a lot of the world-renowned musicians, I mean, they've got other stuff going on, you know? Yeah, I mean, they do. It, yeah, that's, that's another reality that students have to know. You know, yeah. they, yeah, I mean, as the, as time goes on, I mean, that, that you have to be more and more versatile, you know, not yeah. just in your chops, but. Well, I try and make the students aware of a number of different things. I mean, whenever we have that pedagogy, that graduate pedagogy class about teaching, that's where I talk about not just teaching, but everything going on in your life in terms of what you want to do and how you're going to get it accomplished. Um, I was I just had a long talk the other night about um, applying for jobs. I was I was in North Carolina. You guys might have seen on Facebook. I, I did that thing with the North Carolina uh, Repertory Jazz Orchestra this past week and it went really well but there were two guys in that band great players really really great players uh one was the berry player and one was the lead alto player and they're at about one of them's 35 years old and one of them's 39 years old and they're trying to get a they're trying to get teaching jobs college teaching jobs and excuse me they're trying to make decisions of one guy's should i go get the doctorate should i not go and excuse me, I'm sorry. Ananda um, beer. Yeah, it's an, yeah, it's the beer. <laughs> Got to blame the beer. So it's I I I can't. I don't have a cookie cutter answer. I you know I didn't have a cookie cutter answer. I can make you aware of things, uh-huh. and I can make you aware. Certainly, being on a number of search committees. I mean, I've been on a lot of them. You know, I was just on two because we have a new saxophone professor, and and, and Sam was you know yeah he, was, you know he just stopped by Michael Sunday. yeah Michael good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Sounded great. Well, yeah, he's fantastic, and and I, I I'm I'm very I'm going to give myself one of these because he was at the top of my list, and we picked we really picked through his stuff, and I sent out my final list to five different people around the country uh, that are heavy hitter guys that are sax friends of mine, but they are professors and they have the studios at at some major universities, and every single one of them said, "Mike's your guy." Mike yep. Schultz is it, and and I think we made a great pick. Um, there were a lot of fine people on that list, but you know, it's it's a combination of things, 
And I think so far so good. I'm pr- I'm pretty happy. Sam's pretty happy. I think the faculty's pretty happy with him. That um, you know, I think we we did our due diligence. But it's that weird combination of things that I I think works for us. And I'll tell you, I'll, I, if Mike didn't say it to you, his mom and dad are teachers. He's got that thing. He's got right. that acumen. He kind yeah. of knew about it before he came to it. Mm-hmm. Along with being. Of course, we're going to listen to his playing first. Of course, we're going to see what's going on. And his playing playing just knocked me out, both on the classical and jazz end. But he's got that rare combination of things. And you've got, you've got to have that to be able to help students out. And he's sensitive to all the things that we're talking about here, you know, in terms of what's going on. Does that kind of help to answer yeah, what I, you're I was, saying? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was as far as like... You know, well, getting trying to get paid, you know, employment, of course, you know, sure. the, the anxieties of, of procuring employment, but also just like the philosophical side of um, what what is what is jazz? There, there, you know, I I know of some schools and music schools uh, that have no jazz emphasis whatsoever, and sure. to me that just yeah. seems like. I, I don't get it. Like, yeah, I mean, it as, seems as far like, as like you know the, jazz, the 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 language of jazz, everything else in the, in the pop world just right. would, would seem to come easier. You know, it, oh, it has because, to because yeah, just I mean, just because of yeah. where Western music is today. Like, yeah. I don't know how you've I mean, harmonically, like how how you get along other than your ears, you know, naturally if if you just work at it long enough. But like, like the joke is, or not the joke, but I would tell my daughter. I say, you know, jazz is like the Latin. Like, I mean, you can you don't have to be a jazz musician, but it will, it will afford you, yeah, knowing what is going on. Well, it's the, Carl, it's the, it's the it's the it's the language that puts everything together. Because, um, and, and I can tell you this. I, I mean, we can sit here and talk about it in, in in terms of this part of the country or or somewhere in the U.S. But I can tell you, what, in my experience in Berlin, is that the the jazz players, the the guy that the guys that know the guys and girls that know what they're doing in terms of the jazz in, are the more employable ones on a Turkish gig, oh, Middle yeah. Eastern stuff, right. uh, Croatian gigs, uh, Greek Greek gigs. Uh, you know, it is what it is in terms of that because the nomenclature and what we do and the theory and everything that language that has come about through jazz and jazz education that's that's where it is that can explain all these different genres yeah for real yeah so 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 in your travels you know, you're bringing up berlin uh and just europe in general what have you observed um uh, i guess in regards to differences um trying to find the words here uh in in the hustle you know like how how musicians there producers, composers, arrangers, you know, the difference in the hustle between there and here. Well, I don't know if it's, John, I don't know if it's that much different in terms of getting gigs and so on is that you kind of prove yourself and people hear about you and then they tell two people and they tell two people and they tell two people and then you try and self-produce some things and so on. But, you know, I guess what I see is that it is coming from a little bit different angle because um there's a word for pop music there and it it comes from a different way it's it's schlaga and and schlaga is like kind of that old um german roll out the barrel polka kind of influence stuff and a lot of pop stuff coming through that and um unlike us 
um, our pop music kind of coming sort of more out of the blues and Broadway, you know, okay. and, yeah. and, and it, it's just a really different angle, yeah. you know, so I, you know, that's, and I get asked about that a lot. They, you know, well, you're from, you're, you're teaching in Memphis, you, you know, the scene there, blah, blah, blah. And I get asked a lot about that because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. They, so, and, and they are, they are asking to somehow, some way, try and get that more involved in their personal music or their personal style. You know, when I'm interested, and, and I'm interested in to seeing what is going on with them, because, um, you know, I'm interested in, in labels like ECM and getting on with the WDR, the NDR big band. And so there's a whole different kind of more Euro vibe that's coming through that and and the schlager thing too is you you kind of have to know that tradition be able to play in that and 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 know the the what you're doing backing those kinds of artists so i guess in terms of i i guess using your words the hustle to try and get gigs it's it's knowing the 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 landscape mm-hmm. and um it's a different landscape there and they and uh, th- those players and writers want to know more and i want to know more coming my way so um i guess the more you know the the guys who i know are okay let's put it this way the guys who i know that are making it um two different guys i can think of and we we all all three of us have become pretty good friends because we're all writers and we're all saxophone woodwind doublers and um there is a bunch of stuff that we all know and are have in common i know a certain amount of european writers and they certainly know a certain amount of they know who quincy jones is Mm -hmm. they know his writing they know all that stuff they know who kenny wheeler is being from canada and britain and and europe and they certainly know who rob pronk is doing all the writing for um for the metropole orchestra in amsterdam um but i know those too i know all those 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 people and of course they know ellington's music and of course they know Fletcher Henderson's music but there are certain people I can inform them about and certain people I've been informed about by them um so but but my point is is that there's a core of people if you are aware if you have a certain amount of music education in this pop and jazz thing that we do specifically jazz that are are kind of common it's kind of like the history book of this stuff if you don't know the stuff out of this book out of this history book then it's going to be a I, I just don't, I think you're going to be out of the loop. Yeah. You know, so the successful guys, the successful guys I know, know that stuff. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a uh, thing. Yeah. I, I guess that's, that's the way to, I, I would approach it or I, I can answer the question. Cool. No, that's good. Um, We can edit this out. But I was just oh, like, yeah. well, hello. <laughs> it happens once. It actually, it's happened every single episode. Every single episode. Every, yeah, yeah. Always kind of, okay. just kind of get used to it. Um, that was the quietest. I know, right? <laughs> By far. Usually a, a half a body comes through that window right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I, I'd like to, uh, you know, and, and you've, in other interviews have discussed your Charles Ives uh, uh, Mist um, project, but... Um, where, where's that at? Like, how, how, what, what, what uh, point of maturity is, has that project? Uh, where's that at right now? With everything? Well, this weekend, that was the whole purpose of being in North Carolina. Is that the uh, North Carolina Repertory Jazz Orchestra 
uh, that's what we did on the performance. It was a good yeah. crowd too, and the yeah. band played it really well. Um, it's gotten lots and lots of reviews. The latest thing that it got featured on uh, is a uh, there's a VDR documentary out of Cologne, uh, out of that TV station that got produced uh, through them and Accentus Music, and I'm on an interview. I, I I interviewed for this thing, and it's a documentary about Charles Ives, and I'm right in the center of the interview for about a minute minute and a half, um, talking about the project. Yeah, and talk and they they're running the last track of that while I'm interviewed, and uh, they they're playing that, and then I end up saying something about um, Ives brought the music forward and he's done this and this and this and the first thing on the album the first thing out of the project that was very desirable to me was the cage because it sounds like the blues because i converted over a 24 bar blues and that and that's the end of the thing of my my uh interview and then it goes right into a soprano singing the original version of oh, wow. cage so um it's a, it's a great documentary um, hopefully, it gives the the project that much more uh, impetus, uh, energy, and uh, I can present that that thing to uh, the WDR NDR um, about doing more concerts over there and doing more concerts over here, of course. Yeah. Um, because I could see where it 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 it's a really slick documentary. This is an award winning. Uh, director and production crew um, they did a lot of work on this thing over the past six months I, I was interviewed in June and then it just we just got the they did the final edit and we uh, uh, the guy uh, that I was working for this weekend at uh, UNC uh, Chapel Hill uh, we paid a licensing fee and we got to premiere it in a, here in the United States before it was even on the air because it's going to be on the air in November in Sweden and then next March in Germany and then it's entered into the Montreal Film Festival. It's big stuff. That's this, great. This documentary. So, what, what's so the name we, of the documentary? It's called it's called uh, the Unanswered Ives. Okay. Yeah. A, a biography of Charles Ives. Yeah. And, and, just for and, our listeners, we we're talking about right. Yeah, Charles Ives the earlier. Early twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and this whole project was was birthed out of a love. Uh, you grew up listening to Ives. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Because and, of my mom's piano playing and everything. Sure. And and, and for those who don't know, Charles Ives was was somewhat. I mean, twentieth century. What, what do you? What, what, what well, he's twentieth century. I you know. I, well, uh, some people call him avant garde. He didn't call himself that. He called himself an American, a truly American composer, very Americana. And I, I, I think it's a little, it's a lot of Americana and a little bit avant-garde, but not really. Uh -huh. it, it, it just, you, if you know his music, um, he's an outgrowth of a number of different things. And he was doing it independently. His atonal stuff that he right. was doing was completely independent of Alban Berg or Schoenberg. Yeah. It, was, it was incredible how he came up with a, really a system of how he would compose that way. But... Um, I don't know. I you, you can't call him out avant garde because okay. he's not, because there's there's so much Americana stuff, right. you know. That's you know he just I mean just that one version of uh, "Shall We Gather at the River," it's very recognizable. Mm -hmm. 
but he uses all kinds of different chord substitutions. Sure. He was like the the first guy fifty years fifty years before anybody that was doing chord substitution that way and putting in. A, I mean, it's genius. And it should be pointed out he was an amateur. You know. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Insurance I mean, salesman. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Well, yeah, he was insurance. <laughs> well, he did. Now he did have a, a music education. He didn't go all the way through Yale, but he did have a music got kicked education. Out, right? yeah, yeah, he got yeah. he basically got kicked out. <laughs> Mischievous, guy. right? And then he and he said, "Well, you know, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep composing. That's what I do. But you know, during the week, I'm going to be on Wall Street selling insurance, and that's what he did. And he made I, you know, and well, and it became Mutual of New York. It became the biggest. Um, it became the biggest trust insurance uh, agency." In the United States, okay. he's able to support a lot of artists that way too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he did, and and that's where his money went later. His, in fact, his whole Pulitzer Prize money he pumped into in, into. Uh, he he just said, I, "I don't care about the, I don't care about the award. I'm putting it back into new music concerts." So I mean, he was truly that. Everything, okay. all his energy was that. This was obviously it was a very personal uh, endeavor for yourself, but like this wasn't something that you had. You didn't have a test group for this. I mean, you didn't ask folks like, "Hey, what do you think about a big band interpretation?" Did you just say test group, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, 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 was this, was this, it, the the plan for this was like, like, this is very personal. I'm going to do this and just see what happens. Or had- well, it evolved. I mean, it, it. I mean, some anything that I do evolves, and and that evolved from. Um, I, I kind of already had that music, knowing about that music and playing it in, you know, in concert bands and stuff like the country band march, and then knowing, you know, through my mom when I was a little kid. But when I had gone back to do the doctorate after I'd been on the road for six years, is that um, I took a 20th century class, and the guy who was uh, I had to it was part of the doctorate, mm-hmm. and so um, the guy who was teaching it is a was a huge expert in 20th century music, and he had a book. And there was a section on Ives, and he had the cage. He had the, the manuscript of it printed in the book, and then he talked about it and all the different things it does for such a short piece. And so he played it in class, and he lectured about it. And um, I had heard it before. I'd heard it years before. And, and I guess I was ready for it. Yeah. I was ready to do something with it because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, there's something there. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find out. And I sat down. I went down. I was the only guy probably that day that did their homework. Because <laughs> I took the book home. And I, you know, I went through it and you know, played through it and, at, at the piano and messed with it. And um, I thought, well, man, this, this might make really great orchestration to expand it out into further orchestration. And I started to mess with it. And then started remembering back to other Ives things and started to look at other Ives things. And and it, it 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 just slowly started to materialize into hey this will work and I now fortunately I was fortunate to have I did have a test big band yeah. because the number one band at the University of Texas is like a pro band it's all graduate students the one o'clock band say, well that's North Texas oh I'm sorry this is the University of Texas yeah. jazz orchestra okay and they're very very good is a good group in fact I was. Not even the oldest guy. I was like 
you know, had been out of school a while and I wasn't even the oldest guy in the sack section. You know, it was all people doing their doctorate. Um, but I could bring something like that in and know and get the reaction from those people, yeah. you know, and, and, and they loved it. They loved yeah. that first chart and they're like, man, how'd you come up with this? And I said, well, I, I did, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I can't explain it, but I did and, and it works. And, and so we ended up using that. And then the other thing is that I had a, um, had friends that were up at the uh, University of Northern Iowa's, you know, worked Anthony teaches now, Anthony Williams, and um, one of our graduates. But um, they were more than happy to check it out, and they recorded that chart on an album. So I had a good demo. I had a really good demo, and then I did two other charts. I, I Well, I saw it materialize into um, being able to do a dissertation, making the point... The, the 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 kind of the theory was is that as arrangers we have to be able to push the boundaries out further and that's what we do we try and find new material and nobody really in the third stream like Gunther Schuler and mm-hmm. people like Don Sebesky I didn't think they they had done a very convincing job of making a band sound like a big band with that mm-hmm. kind of like like disparate material right. like out like material that's outside of Ellington that's outside of Cole Porter that's outside of UB Blake that's outside of uh, you know uh, Harold Arlen blah 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 yeah. blah 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 and people have tried that to me uh, unsuccessful and and I'm I'm gonna this would be the only time you'll ever hear me take a swipe at Herbie Hancock but that album where the new standard album where he yeah. tries to take some pop tunes I don't think it works yeah. because the the material just doesn't lend itself to that there's just material that does and doesn't and so my theory was is that you have to find good material and you have to find something that will work with that medium and mm. with orchestration and you'll be able to expand out and do it and not every Ives tune does that either because if you I, I've gone through every single one of Ives things went through the whole library of Congress recordings. <laughs> I mean, I spent a lot of time at this. And so I had a master list and I whittled the master list down to about 20 from 160 down to 20. Oh, wow. And then from from that 20, which were pretty good down to, you know, uh, eight and then three that were really good that I felt very strongly about that I could do something with. Yeah. Um, you know, and even that, even with that, the work isn't done. You've got a lot to do. So, um, <laughs> Hello. Here we are. We're exposed. Shout out to Memphis Fire. So, um, <laughs> I, I remember thinking that same thing. I, I remember when you, uh, when I read about you starting the project, and I was like, man, what, what is he going to pick? You know, right. and 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 how are you going to do it? So, I mean, with that, like, um, you're arranging. And we can get into composition later, uh, but how do you approach arranging? You know, do you have a core philosophy? I mean, what what are some goals that you think about when you sit down to a, a, arrange maybe someone else's work? And, and like I said, we can get to composition later. But well, that's that's a tough thing because first that you I, I there's a there's parameters of certain things that if if I'm arranges if I'm arranging somebody else's stuff. I hope they trust me to make some decisions. 
And if they give me a portfolio of things to arrange, I hope that they trust me to say, look, this works better than this. Right. And this one works not so well as this or, you know. So I, I hope that they can trust me because I've been doing it a long time to be able to do that. Um, and that can be very tough. I, I, I'll, I'll be upfront. It can be very tough with singers because they get very, very personally attached to certain tunes. I've never experienced that before in my life. <laughs> no, we never have. have what? <laughs> And, and 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 sometimes you just you have to sit down and say, "Look, this is going to be hard to arrange. Um, there are tunes that you actually sound better on that I've heard you sing. Mm-hmm. I've got some tunes that I might suggest to you. Blah 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 blah. So um, I mean, that's the first thing is that um, it's picking stuff that works, or you can kind of have the foresight to think it will work." You know, and that that's part and parcel to that Ives project. Mm-hmm. As I said, there were a number of things that just kind of weren't going to work so well, and then there were the things that I ultimately came up with. Um, and, and, and it's a standard big big jazz big yeah, band, uh, yeah, configuration yeah. of horns. Yeah, like yeah. It, you didn't add like a French horns or no, uh-huh. no. I and, and that was and that was part of the thesis. Yeah, that was part of it. Is that is that. Um, I limited myself to say, it's got to work. And I, and I made a comparison. I mm-hmm. made a comparison while I was going through the Ive stuff, is that, okay, so I felt like we needed something that had an Americana feel, a something that had kind of Americana things embedded in the in the music. Um, and you could say, okay, well... Does Samuel Barber have that? Does Aaron Copeland have that? Uh, you know, in, in terms of the classical side, that would be able to, you know, push you in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I checked out their songs because they had, you know, uh, art songs. You know, leader. You know, they had those things, but they just didn't do what they were supposed to do. And I was asked this weekend at this, this this film preview when I did a talk afterwards. People asked me. They said, "Well, did you?" Did you use Ives orchestration? And that's I said no, no way. That's <laughs> no, my orchestration. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, because it's not going to work. Right. I'm the expert yeah. at that. That's where I come to the table, right. and I take the 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 lead sheet just as I would take Ellington. I'm not going to. I just as if you were to do take the A train. I am not going to really. I'm going to maybe, sure, I've listened to his big band arrangement of Take the A-Train, but I'm going to do my version of Take Mm -hmm. the Mm A-Train and try and give respect, due respect to what's going on. But just like that, it's mine to make it happen for the big band. So I had to just take the, I I, I said this weekend, I took the lead sheet and from there, it's me. It's I have to interpret it, and there are many and, things. And, that, and for listeners like Lee Cheat, you're taking the melody and, and, and his, the chords and his changes as as is, and right. the essentials of the, the essentials, and then, of and then the you tune. flush it out right. from right, from there. Yeah. right. I do the all the orchestration. I've got to do a lot of writing because I mean, you know, you can do the exposition of the thing, just the the statement of the tune, but there's a lot more writing that you have to do beyond mm-hmm. that because you have to start spinning out a lot of different things and make it interesting for a long period of time. So. Um, I, I, um, that's a difficult thing. How I how I arrange, um, you know, I I could get on the micro level of talking about certain techniques and stuff like that, but you know, I think you have to make good 
intuitive decisions and it's kind of educated educational or an educated intuition is what I'm trying to say that I'm bringing to the table yeah. and sometimes that intuition I look at something as like man this just isn't going to work mm. I, 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 I don't you know that's tough you know Memphis is just all sorts of sounds tonight, man. It's great. Yeah, we got lots. Hey, of so 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 would the Ives project would that be considered like like a one off, or, or, or has has as is this maybe like would you tackle another composer in the same way, or is it? Well, just like- I, I I well, there is a thing in the works, and I've done uh, uh, the beginnings of two different charts of Alban Berg's music. Mm. Nice, but that would have to be done over there. And um, I have my, I have my spy in place now. <laughs> <laughs> the the guy who was the producer, you know, Louis Spinia, uh, who's the trombone player on the the Ives album, and he was with the Vanguard okay. Jazz All Orchestra. Right. All right. Well, he just left New York about two months ago, uh, and he's now the trombone professor in Graz, Austria. Okay. And so he and I have already talked about doing a, a Berg thing because you know that's where for, Berg's for, from for, Austria. for big band yeah format. for big band wow. uh, yeah Berg wow. for big band I've already uh, done something that's from uh, his early leader and I've uh, got started a chart f- which is the uh, it's the lullaby from Votsek it's the first in wow. the second act the first part where the where uh, uh, the, the the mom is singing to the kid man that is a that is a Odd scene. I mean, it's, it's yeah, a beautiful yeah, scene, it's a, but it's it's yeah. a dark kind of. Yeah, it's very know. dark. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. No. So, so, so as, as a musician, is is this like? Do you get to experience like everything firing off? Like you know the 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 classical side, the the jazz side. Like, do, do are you, or is this just something like? How, what's the experience in pulling these elements together? What's that like? Well, it's not, Carla. It's not always easy. Um, right now, with the the thing I'm doing right, as we speak. Um, it's taken me a few weeks to kind of get the. It 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 feels like it feels like you're you're rolling a big cement, you know, ball that is like two times as high as you. <laughs> and once you get it rolling, yeah, it's okay. But boy, that that Until first you want to stop it. Right, right, exactly. Because <laughs> you yeah. don't want you don't want it to sound forced. You don't want it to sound right, exactly, like, yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I you know I don't know I. Well, I mean, one of the things that I came up with in that, um, well, I was having trouble. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an in, for instance of writing and arranging and stuff. Is that the third movement of the violin sonata, which I I wasn't able to post because of some technical problems that we had. Though it, we have a good recording of it for the off the recording sessions. Is that, um, and and we all have our techniques, but I was having problems coming up with ideas for the third movement, and I didn't want to rewrite the second movement or the first movement. And so um, I had just heard uh, one of our students do the Ebert, the Jacques Ebert, uh, what's it called? The uh, Oh, gosh. Uh, the, the, the Concerto de Camera of Jacques Ebert. Um, and, um, there are some certain parts of that I like a lot Mm -hmm. and I, I stole, I stole from it. Mm -hmm. I did. I mean, there's, there's, there's some really neat things in in there that work really well. And so I, I, sure, 
I did it, but I made it my own. Yeah, and that's well, and that's and you know, Ellington's quoted this, and several other people. It's just you don't borrow, you steal, right? And you make it your own. Yeah. It's the cliche. I mean, yeah, the, yeah right. The good borrow and the, yeah. the great steal. Yeah, <laughs> right. So no, I just no, I no, and no, and and, I, and it's funny because you know when Mike got on the campus and I had just come come back from. Uh, come back from uh, Berlin over the summer and we were sitting, he was kind of putting his stuff into the, the, uh, his office and everything and I had, the, uh, had a CD with me of the thing. And um, I said, so check this out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I played in the third movie and it immediately had this huge smile on his face. Oh man, you bear, that's great. It sounds great. So I mean, he knew. Yeah, he yeah, knew yeah. what I had done. But, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. He just loved the piece. Yeah. And, you know the thing is is being able to do that in a genuine sincere way and and you make it your own so um i don't know it comes from a lot of different directions i just well i was just writing okay i'll tell you another one is that i was just writing last night trying to get a lot of ideas i got some nice ideas down last night for this thing for the new zealand jazz orchestra and i would been and i had been teaching 2 weeks ago uh uh the donald fagan tune uh in class uh what's the name of that tune it's the one where he the, the, the steal it and or his the, own or no it says from his own it's the one where he's uh he's at the resort and the, he gets the the goodbye look yeah okay. the goodbye yeah, look yeah. and it has all those different um it has all those different chords from harmonic minor and uh, uh, melodic minor. He does all that chord borrowing, mm-hmm. and he's a master of it. Yeah. He's really, really good. But he doesn't. He does it in a way that's so inventive. It doesn't sound like that. You don't even notice it. No, you don't notice it. Yeah, you don't yeah. notice it. All I mean, all of a sudden, he's using third mode of harmonic minor to to resolve to have this tension to resolve after you've already had a five to one, and and so. I was going through, and all of a sudden I heard that. You know, I, I was trying to come up with a thing. At a, at a point, it's like, oh well, okay. That's there's there's the plus five major seven chord, and it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, yeah. right. It's that chord. It's like the E over C chord. I'm yeah, using right, is right. F sharp over D. <laughs> now we're getting really nerdy for the listeners, yeah. but yeah, sorry. Trust, but, trust me, it's good stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I, well, but 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 you see, but you see the thing. There's got to be a YouTube video. Yeah, right? I know, right? And E over C. Yeah, go to a piano and <laughs> play. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but you see, but you see, it, it could come from anywhere, and that that's yeah. very inspiring. I teach it, and it's all of a sudden it's like, oh well, that's Donald. Fagan, yeah. and so I'm stealing from Donald Fagan and putting it into a, you know, yeah. all of a sudden putting it into a chart that I'm doing. That's one, you know, total side note. But I took my wife's folks to Branson early uh-huh. on in our marriage, and that's when the Lawrence Welk Theater was still going strong. Right, smoking players, by the way. Yeah, uh, I worked at, for at them. The, I've man, done the show three times, and, and we were we were able to catch this uh, the Sunday matinee of the the Lennon Singers. It was a trio, two right. guys and a girl, right. Sm- smoking tree like this. But they nailed that whole big band vocal sure. form mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're playing these hits and you know all the repertoire from that era post world war ii all, all that stuff right. and all of a sudden they dropped in um walk between the raindrops huh which is a total sm- off that record off the yeah. night fly and, right. and i'm sitting there going holy smokes man <laughs> they, <Right>. just, <laughs> they just dropped a donald fagan song and, that's and, great but, but everyone else was just you know nodding their heads like oh that I, I, that's that's wonderful that's a great little swing you know i went to him i went to him in the lobby afterwards i'm like you nailed that Donald Fagan song. That was awesome. You know, they looked at me yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, since we're geeking out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it, okay, and, and this is a Memphis story, actually. <laughs> okay. So I saw Prince at the Pyramid when shows Uh-oh. were still going on at the Pyramid. Right. Which, you know, now it's Bass Pro Shop. And 
for about eight seconds in the middle of, I forget the tune of Prince's that they were playing, but Prince grabbed the bass and of course his bass player, and I forget who it was at the time. The Rhonda? Uh, Rhonda? The, Ron, the girl? Uh, yes. Rhonda? Rhonda? Um, yes. Yeah. yes. I'm yes, spacing yes. on her name. Right. So okay. for about eight seconds, they played Stanley Clark's Lopsy Lou. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And uh-huh. Amy and I, my wife looked at each other and we were like, <laughs> and you know we because it was so cool they did that for the right. you know 16 people in the audience that you yeah. know knew that and it was so, so maybe, was maybe so we cool. address this at the top when we were talking about memphis but coming full circle now you know you, uh-huh. you you've developed as an artist here and, and and you've grown and uh so could you say like your your hopes for memphis could be like hey you know, let, let, let's let's take all this rich seed and and, and grow some some new stuff is is that kind of in a sense what, what you're hoping yeah, for? Yeah, sure. Know? I I mean I again I I, I think that there uh, there need to be some entrepreneurs with some foresight to be able to do that um, and understand understand a little bit and be into the music and being able to do some of that. I think that um, I think that there are certainly as I said I I think there are groups from here and there are will be upcoming young artists that will come through here because of the unique combination of things that come here but or or come through here i'm trying to say but um there's got to be someone willing to back them because everybody's got somebody that's willing to do that Hmm. i i will say this let's go back to let's go back to this i and i tell my students this uh, and this is really important um I i just did a master class on this at the school is that you, I, you, you may not know this about that album. Is that when that was all going on about four years ago? Now, um, I, I had to raise eighteen thousand dollars in oh. twenty five days. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. Oh, you did the, you did the. Um, I did an Indiegogo. I participated in that. Well, and I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> no, and I appreciate that, and you know I do. Is that? Is that? But, but see, the thing is, is that. Before I and you saw the whole thing go yeah. down, is that yeah. look before I even started that, is that we had the recording session. It was of course done right with the top level players. Um, I happen to be good friends with and have a very good relationship with David Bradford, who's a very good videographer here. He does. He's an independent guy who works for CNN and MSNBC and does on location stuff of, of news footage, and he's very good. Um, so I asked David for some help, uh, and he's and he de- deals with the Mid South Jazz Foundation, mm. and both him and Jack Schaefer helped a lot. They 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 donated their time. They spent a lot of time doing this. They wanted to see it happen. They were guys who wanted to see a Memphis a person in Memphis have some success. They recognized it was important, though it was it was a bit obscure, in in but it's very Americana, and so that whole thing was put together in a nice package, as you saw. Yeah, it was a very oh, yeah. nice pro- pe- package that we put together. So, at that point, any any investor wants to see a professional product. They they want to see that, and so it, the I mean the quintessential call. There were a number of people who donated in a big way to that and to to make that 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 last eighteen thousand happen, and so um. 
I, we were because we were thinking my wife and I were thinking about Berlin we were making a visit that summer unfortunately I came right in the middle of that Indiegogo so we're sitting there in Berlin for five days and I get a call in the middle of the night because it's diff- it's different time there right. than it is here and it's Rudy Scheid on the phone mm. and he said I saw the video you'd send it to me um, it looks great it's a fantastic project um, what do you need and I said well I don't know I you know I we can talk about different things. And he said, where are you at right now? And I said, well, we are, I think we were at about 8,000. We had gotten to seven or 8,000. And he said, how's five? And I said, five would be fantastic. Yeah. And that's the one that put us yeah. really in the strike zone and people, and I was able to approach people also and say, look, Rudy put in five and then I got another one to put in 800 and another one to put 1500 in it like the belt the jack belts put in $1500 all of a sudden so I I mean you know it was piece by piece by piece but what I try and tell my students is that you have to present yourself in a professional way it can't be just kind of screwing around just kind of excuse expression (laughs) half-assed it just it cannot be you cannot do that Mm -hmm. you know um and and unfortunately and that's why i get so upset many times when i'm teaching at the university of memphis because if i have a student starting to do that it's like nobody will back you nobody will back you I think that's universal. I think that goes in any field. Well, of course right? it is. I mean, right? <laughs> but of but course like, it is. But why? Why is it in music? We feel like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think that the I think the I think it's the message that gets sent, and that a lot of kids see on YouTube, and mm. they see these different artists doing these different things, and they feel like, oh, well, I can do whatever I want. Well, no, you can't do whatever you want. <laughs> You know, and there's a lot to this. And so I try and tell them that story, but I try and tell them other people's stories too. But I mean, damn, I had to I had to come up with eighteen thousand dollars in twenty five days. That's amazing. Well, but but it was being professional about it. Yeah, and yeah. it was I, I don't know many people that have done what I did. I just don't. I mean, I, I you know, so it's it's hard to do. Yeah, we, we before we started, we talked about post Malone, this oh, right. this rap right. phenom. He was just right. on uh um not Kimmel, but uh yeah, the late no talk, uh, uh, late night talk show. Uh, uh, not Seth, but bah! anyway. Uh, yeah, so here's a guy who his story is just like you know delivering pizzas or whatever, hanging out, smoking a lot of stuff, and and just <laughs> literally like got his name off a, a, a rap generator, and just stepped into like beca- whatever he put on SoundCloud became this very fashionable th- thing. It's it's now it's he's now a thing, right? But I can tell you right now that that you know he just. Uh, I think he just got called, or he, he's doing uh, the next Spider-Man. He, he, he's full-on industry now, but I, I bet I bet his world has changed from just kind of goofing around and, and, and you know sharing one room with seven other guys to where he has a team of people. And I, I'm sure someone is in his face saying like, "It, you got to think about yeah being legit." You know, like 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 there's like there was this realm where it was you could just kind of be like haphazard. Chance, half-assed, however you call it, and now it's like you've established a you've established this thing, consistency. How how do you keep producing consistent work? You know, you just hey, real quick, Memphis Machine would like to thank Snakebite for their sponsorship of the podcast. Snakebite, made in America, makes the best keychain, beer bottle opener, and folding fork church key, along with their excellent professional bartending tool, the Mamba. 
you can check out Snakebite at www.snakebiteco. That's snakebiteco.com. That's tough. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's all. What I'm trying to say. I'm sure there's now a team of people making him making him become professional. Yeah, like like right. like Katy Perry has several employees. Like she like it's not just a well, pop, like she has a whole brand yeah. that she yeah. is right having to upkeep and and and, well, and right. sustain. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Well, it's it's a very difficult thing, and I know. Well, I. I don't know if I should say it, but I'll <laughs> I'll use a name that both my okay. I I have a one of my sisters, one of my older sisters, is a stylist in Los Angeles, and she's worked for a lot of different people mm-hmm. on set doing uh, costuming and backdrop. You know the, you know what what's in the background and so on, and um, ironically, she both she and I have worked for Macy Gray. I was on a TV show. I, I was the contractor for an orchestra. For uh, a, 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 it was a big uh, MSNBC um, telethon. It was after the uh, the hurricane that was uh, Katrina. Katrina was it Katrina? New Orleans, the big one. Yeah. yeah. It, well, yeah. It was. Yeah. And it was the one that hit Mississippi, New Orleans. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be Katrina, I think. Yeah. And so. Um, I, so I, I had to contract the thing, and I, I was actually called by people in Hollywood that I knew that said, oh, yeah, you know, we talked to different people, and you're like our contact guy because you know how this is supposed to go. You'll get the right people called. And and I did, and it was a very good orchestra. And in fact, Harold Wheeler from uh, Dancing with the Stars was the conductor, was the musical director of that. Wow. Yeah, so, excuse me, it was pretty heavy hitter. Um, but so... All the musical acts were really quite good. Um, Brian McKnight was on that. Uh, Ray Romano was on that. I mean, it was a whole list of people. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Macy Gray was on it. Um, and she's had a lot of problems. She's had a lot of personal problems. And it was some of the most unprofessional behavior I've ever seen mm. on, on any gig I've been on. It was pretty bad. And, but that was, and, 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 and she got slam dunked by Harold Wheeler. I mean, it, basically, he said, "You will not be on it. You're showing up late." And she was, she was messed up. Wow. I mean, she showed up messed up. Yeah. And he said, "You're done. You're done. You're you're not on the show now. I won't do it." The producer came screaming out on stage, "Oh, you can't do that!" And he said, "Oh, yes, I can. Oh, yes, I can. These people in this orchestra work very hard. She will not be on the show, and she wasn't. Wow. You know, and but see, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And but it's consistency, and it was consistent. Unfortunately, she's been consistently not good. Uh-huh. She had her kind of day in the sun a few years back, as you guys know. Right. And and I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have any problems with you know those hits that she had and everything. I mean, I'm like, yeah, there have been Vin if she's got a unique voice, but she's had some very unprofessional behavior. And my the point is, my sister saw it too. We we compared stories, and she had she was the costumer for Macy Gray, and she said she was impossible to work with. Wow, she was unruly. She was late all the time. She didn't she she didn't help at all. You know, in terms of dealing with stuff. So the the point is is that. You know, young people they 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 would be they would be wise to behoove the advice that some of us that have actually dealt with this. You know, I walk in like I'm some old man or something. These kids <laughs> think I'm some old fart, and then uh, 
and then I, I start talking about something like that, a more contemporary artist, and I say, well, I've been on set. I've been on a TV show or a recording session or this and that with them. And they're like, oh, oh, really? It's like, well, but that's, what I, that's what I do. It, 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 in, a, in an earlier podcast, James Dukes, what, what did he hammer at? Work ethic. Yeah, work he, he he was you know when he, yeah. even when he takes on a new artist he even sets up almost like like a sensei like almost like like test of like hey can you show up on time we we agreed that you'd be here at eight o'clock and his I mean his, right his, yeah there's like a, right? a purging probation almost a probation you know right. to where, right. like, where he's going to vet an artist like can you hang with because his mortgage is on the line you know well. And that's, you know, and that's the, well, and that's the thing about, uh, that's the thing that I have to tell kids about and younger artists um, is that it's not about them. <laughs> it's not about them. It's about that person you're working for and their connections and their gig. You are on their gig. Right. They're not your gig. <laughs> yeah. It's not your gig. It's their gig. And whenever I send people out... Uh, on different touring bands or something when contractors call my phone at work and I, 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 I'm very upfront with the contractor I don't have anybody at this time and it's like well yeah they may not be as musically competent for that gig but they may be unprofessional I don't have any prof- anybody professional wow. and, and then when I do I do refer them to that mm-hmm. right now I just had two gigs pop up on my phone that I was able to refer I've got some good ones right now that happen to happen to be able to fill the bill but it doesn't always happen right that doesn't always happen and I'm not going to send out a bad one I will not do it well it comes you know? back to you right? yeah it comes back to me because yeah. I want more of those those things i want more of those things for them you know and and it's not necessarily even about me it's about getting them gigs but i'm not going to send out a bad one because it cuts my pipeline off yeah so i mean it happened to me i mean one of the things one of the things that happened to me um recently where i got tested like that (laughs) and it was it it was a drag but I, i i knew it was coming it was dealing with jigs wiggum and jigs is a He's a genius. He's a musical genius, a trombone player. Okay. You know? And and um, Jiggs is the co-director of the Berlin Jazz Orchestra. Well, the guy who's the other co-director is Mark Sakara, who's a very good vocalist. And he's a... Um, and he's... And, and Mark's younger. And, and he already knew. He knew, well, this guy knows what he's doing. He's younger than me. Mark's about 43 now. So he kind of knew, and he talked to Jiggs, and Jiggs is, God, he's over 70 years old now. So, But uh, the, the point is, is that, um, so I go, I, we, we get all, I get all these charts done. I get about half the, the album done for the band. Um, unfortunately, for the first reading with, with the group is that I had to fly back here just before it, and I got stuck here in the snow in Cincinnati at the gin conference, and I didn't make it back in time for the rehearsal. And I thought, okay, I see what's coming. Jigs is now conducting my charts, and I'm not there. So um, he conducts through the charts. He's, uh, he's got wrong tempos. Oh. He's not understanding some things on the charts. And so uh, Mark makes a tape of it, and I listen to the tape, and there's some things wrong, and Mark and I talk about it. And he said, yeah, I understand. He said, well, Jiggs wants to talk to you. And I said, what, you, what, what does he want to talk about? And Mark says, he wants to talk to you. Mm. I said, okay, I get it. So, so 
what happens is Jiggs invites me up to the restaurant at the top. You know the uh, the the big the DDR Space Needle in Berlin, like the one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and they've got the restaurant like Seattle and <laughs> D- Dallas. You know, he invites me there and says, "Oh yeah, we'll have dinner out and blah 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 blah." Everything's so. So we go up there, and I, he knows the waitress. He goes, oh, yeah, anything on the house, blah, 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 blah. So we order and everything, and she takes off, and he watches her leave, and he, and he starts doing this to me. Shaking he, his finger. Yeah, he starts getting into my face about oh, it. Gosh. You know, And I just sat there. I was like, okay, okay. I knew it was coming right. because I knew his reputation for doing this kind of stuff. About And, and it's him just blowing off steam to tell you how great he is. You know? <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, and, right. And, and, and right, and he's trying to tell me what to do and everything, and I and I and and eventually, it all came out in the next rehearsal is that he saw I knew exactly where every note was placed. Right, everything was on time. Everything was done professionally. The guys in the band knew what was going on and dug the charts. And Mark was knew knew what was going on. So, you know, I had to prove myself because you know I had to I had that night at dinner I had to listen to Jig's resume. Yeah. You know, he had to tell me how great he is, and blah, 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 which I, I, you know that. I mean, if you're in the jazz world, you know this guy, and you know what he's all about. Um, and he is. He's a damn genius. I mean, I, I saw one night on the first gig that I did that I was the MD for is that the, the bass player, we were in Midtown, in, in, the, in Midtown and uh, the, the bass player on the first break, he takes off and didn't come back for because he went to go have beer somewhere and came back oh. late. And so, you know, we're in the green room and a couple of people start taking off in the audience and Jig's all, man, we got to go on now. And he turns to me and he said, you know the charts? And I said, yeah, I think I know the charts. I listen to everything and I can kick them off. And he goes, okay, you're conducting the band now for everything. And he gets up there and Jig's sight read the bass. Nice. Nice. He's a great bass player <laughs> beyond his trombone player, and he's a good piano player, too. I heard right. him do that. So th- he, he's really old-school genius. Like, yeah, he can yeah. do it all yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but, you know, but, but that's the kind of thing you have to deal with. And I'm, I'm not going to sit there and argue with Jigs Wiggum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, over dinner I, with people around and stuff, I'm not going to sit there and, and get into a, a, a battle with him. Why? It's, right. There's no use. And, and I knew as I was old enough and mature enough and say it'll subside it'll be okay you know and it'll and and that's basically was mark's mark's uh, message to me it's like well he wants to talk to you (laughs) you know what's coming so 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 dealing you know keeping in mind excellence consistency and just rolling with it you know. Right, and sometimes you have to roll the punches, and, yeah. and you know, I mean, you guys are old enough. I mean, you've been on enough gigs to know that that kind of crap happens. And no, I and and especially and especially for me, I mean, hell, I've moved my family over to Berlin and everything, and that's my that's my main gig yeah. is to be writing for that big band to be their staff writer. I'm not going to jeopardize that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like oh, you could get in my face. <laughs> you know, no, no, it's not worth it, man. Have a nice dinner, have some wine, let him chill out, have a few drinks. He'll 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 be okay, you know, because he tried to you know he tried to push his weight around, and I was okay, okay, it's cool. And 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 I knew how to get around that is that he and I have a lot of mutual friends, like Manny Album and and Bud Shank and other guys in L.A. Especially when because Jigs for a short time lived in L.A. and then he lived mainly in New York before he had migrated to Germany. So he and I talked about and people I know over there like like I mentioned. Rob Pronk earlier and some others 
And so I just brought up those guys in his generation yeah. of people, and we talked, and I said, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And so it kind of chilled him out and calmed him down. So, I mean, y- you have to have some personal acumen. You know, D- there's diplomacy, be, right? There's got to be some, yeah, Carl. There's there's got to be some diplomacy, man, and you got to learn that. And that's not always, that's not always uh, a, a, a priority with some of the younger people that I deal with. Mm. With you know, I mean, one of the things you know to to kind of make a long story longer is that um, one of the things when I have composition students is that, and it's like their first or second tune they've written. And they bring it to me and they say, oh, what do you think of the tune? And so I, I, I say, well, there are some good aspects to it, but you really, it, something needs to be done here. And then at this point where it transitions, excuse me, into this other part, you might want to do something here. And, and I have a suggestion here. And then you need to write another section. You like need to do more writing. It's yeah. too short or uh-huh. something like that. And they don't want to hear it. Oh boy, uh, they don't want to hear it, uh, and they don't especially don't want to hear. It. It's like, well, and and what always happens with that is like, well, this is good. Keep writing. You need to write a lot more, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 like constantly, and, right? You need yeah. to con- write constantly. You know, it's just like practicing your instrument. You've got yeah. to play and you've got to write. You know, that's the first thing that was said to me when I was my first lessons were with Tom Rainier, and Tom has done a lot of stuff for CBS and for uh, Disney, and and he's done a, and of course he does a lot of playing. But you know, he said it's his quote, and and I say this to my students: it's just like practicing your instrument. You have to practice it. You have to do a lot of it, and you have to do a lot of it before you start sounding good. Yeah, it just doesn't come about you well, know yeah i mean speaking of stuff like that and then coming back to things we were talking about earlier with work ethic and you know professionalism and everything so you know you seem to be pretty busy right traveling writing for a lot of stuff so yeah. like how would you describe you know your work ethic or i don't know do you have daily routines or anything like that that kind of well i mean that's a that's a tough thing it's the next gig coming up i got you it's it's the it, it it's always the next gig coming up whether it be playing or writing and um i i guess i have good habits when i sit down and write in terms of coming up with things um i i have certain devices certain harmonic or melodic things that i want to do in terms of developing themes and melodies and you know harmonic structure and the overall piece and stuff like that so i have some some tricks that i have Mm -hmm. a, a bag of tricks but um my thing is always especially for writing is a due date situation i have to know when the due date is coming right. up for a project and be able to project out well I've got between now and the next two or three months of when this is due yeah. I've got this and this and this and this going on and okay I can be able to do it and I'll be able to make it happen so it really is being professional in terms of projecting knowing what I'm capable of mm-hmm. in what time frame and uh, and being able to deliver being able to do it, yeah, you know. I mean, recently there was one thing, and it, there was no promise necessarily made. It was kind of open ended, and um, I, I was offered to do something for a very good group. The album, and and I just saw the album had come out of what they were aiming for, and I just couldn't get that done for them. 
I just and, and I didn't make any promises. Mm-hmm. I they said, "Hey, we'd like this if you can get it done." And I I'm like, "Well, when's the, I I'm going to if I'm writing for you, I will be writing for an album." And when would that come? Oh, we don't know. We don't, you know. And and so it was like there wasn't really a hard and fast commitment on either right. side. So with all these other things, in the meantime, this second album came up with Mike Waldrop, and he had hard due dates, like he had money to pay, mm-hmm. and hard due dates, and uh, you know other projects had come up in the meantime, and so just this kind of flimsy commitment, and not but not by anybody's fault, it just has you know it went by the wayside, and then I just saw that the album that I would have written for came out, and it's like. I, I, you know, I right. and I, you know, I first thought, oh, well, that's too bad. But then I thought, well, and I think think about all the other projects that I have going on. And it's like, well, we had no firm commitment, and I, I just, I we just, just kind of, I, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm asking because you know you kind of have those two. I mean, granted, these are sort of extremes, but you you had the approach to creating, whether it's writing fiction, nonfiction, or music, whatever, right? That you know. The, the one extreme sits around waiting for a muse while the other has, you know, okay, these four hours every day, I'm going to write whatever right. it is that I'm going to create. I'm going right. to write, you know, so like the, the Stravinsky approach or the, the yeah. Stephen King approach, right? Right, I, I, right. No, they so, went to work and they did that. They had right, an exactly. office that where they went there. and did that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just, well, I mean, the thing is, is that I wish, well, I had, okay, I will say this one. I, the, the good thing about being away from here for the whole year when I was on sabbatical, I was teaching one day a week. I, I was teaching two different classes one day a week. and um, But I had a regular schedule. I was able to keep a regular schedule, and I had a ton of writing to do. I had one whole album to do. Then I had part of another album. Then I was getting some writing work from back over here, and then also uh, had some writing work from the outside like at the last minute, there were a couple of different projects for symphony orchestras that I got over there that literally I got called. It was a funny story about due dates and getting things done on time. So my friend Mark, the singer, you know, he'd already seen a lot of my work and seen how well I work. And so uh, it was funny. So I, on a Sunday afternoon, I get this call from him and he's whispering and you hear these people in the background, this kind of rehearsal going on. And he said, Man, you gotta save me. You you gotta help me out here because the chart that this guy wrote, and the guy was like standing right over here oh, when no. I read the chart. He goes, I, "You're gonna have to rework this whole chart. Oh, no. I'll do whatever whatever you need me to pay you. Can you, can you do it? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah." And so yeah, and so he's like on the phone like this, like talking to me, you know, trying not to let this other guy hear it. And and I said, "Yeah, what do you need, Mark?" And and so he, he described it to me. It was a it was a uh, a lift of a Sinatra thing, and then I had to put it in a new key and stuff. And I can do that very quickly. I've done lots and lots of it, and um, for a full symphony orchestra, and it had to be done. It was Sunday afternoon. It had to be done by Tuesday night. Hmm. So, okay. which is which? Which, which Lynn, I want to ask, like, if if you watch any uh, interviews of uh, film composers, their target um, time of, of of stuff they want to get done during the day is between two to three minutes. Of of is is that? Do you think in those terms of like I'm accomplishing like a, a pop song being three to five minutes uh, orchestral work, but like depends upon what's going on that you're creating or arranging. Like, do you think in terms of like I'm getting this much 
much stuff done? done? Well, yeah, you do. And how many measures that will be and stuff. And, and it depends on the, you know, and it depends on how many things need to be orchestrated. If it's a full, sure. if oh, it's yeah. a string section, if it's and brass section and reed section, I mean, shoot. Well, if I mean, you think like a like a large symphonic film score, you know, if, if, if sure. a guy's carving away and gets two to three minutes of score done right. a day, that's... Well, right. No, I mean, I, uh, right. If he, if he can knock that out, that's that's quite actually quite a bit of music. Yeah, I say, I mean, depending on the score, two or three minutes. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, I right? mean, I, I would really, I would have to have a full day. I would have to have a full day to knock out that much full orchestration to uh-huh. have it like complete and all. Because, I mean, I do it in you know, kind of back to your your question, John, is that I do it in layers. I kind of have. Uh, melody lines and different counter melody lines and so on and going through and then I have somewhat of a harmonic structure and I write that down and or some key bass notes in in certain uh, harmonic rhythmic harmonic rhythm harmonic rhythmically placed spots and um, then I put another layer of things on start to do some certain voicings here and there and and so on and then another layer of stuff and then it starts mm-hmm. to complete you know it's like a jigsaw puzzle yeah. is that you 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 get the easy fitting pieces you yeah. know and then you start to work your way in and you know the 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 other pieces that are all the same color you know uh, like Mickey Mouse's ears in the, the Mickey Mouse puzzle, and his ears are all black, and so you've right. got a bunch of black pieces, and so you, at that point it starts to get a little bit more difficult. Now, but, is, uh, is that what you found to be, or do you find that in, in, with other composers, arrangers? Is is that a typical, you know, yes. almost like like get a spinal cord and then start to dress the spinal cord out with other? Yeah, and and, and 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 you don't, and and most composers hear and see the important parts i only know one guy and it's a close friend of mine and he just retired from the army band in washington dc and and like sam was working for the national symphony um he he literally writes he kind of has it in his head and he literally writes measure one two three four five six seven eight wow he's the paul's the only guy i know that does that (laughs) but most of us kind of get the important parts like i put the intro last Oh. I write my intros last because yeah. I want it really derived. I want it to to connect and to be from something inside, so it's it it it's telling you what's coming up. Yeah. And 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 I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Last so I'll have some of the the exposition of it, and then I'll have some other parts, and then I'll generally jump all the way to the end and then move backwards. Right. That's almost that's like kind a, of my is that how Agatha Christie wrote her the, uh, is going to the end and then coming back. Is that how she wrote her uh, her mystery, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, start right. at the end and then work. Right. And, right, and I think and I and I think actually and I think a lot of novelists do that too. Right. Is that right. they the, the the ending has to be good. Yeah. And then you do you work from the ending backwards through the piece and then you connect all the dots of it. You know, and I see, and when I've seen film directors, they do the same thing too. Good film directors are able to do that, and and every time, and every time it's interesting because every time I, I see a film, where it comes to the ending, I'm like, oh man, why did I, why did I go see this film? This is like really bad, and the ending just didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that to that story? You know, and you go back through, and you, 
and and I've read about the screenplay, and it's like, well, there were five different people working on the screenplay, right. and it never came together right, and blah blah yeah. blah blah. Right. You know, so so there you go. There's a cohesiveness to large work, large artworks like that, in terms of being able to do that and see the entire picture. And I and that's the main thing that I teach is that is that you have to be able to see the entire picture at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I hear where it's been, I hear where it's going, I hear where it is right now. You know, and that's a tough thing to do to be able to have that all to be able to vi- have the vision in your mind's eye of the whole thing all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, and all the inner workings of the part. So, you know, the thing is is in terms of, you know, kind of answering further answering your question, I, I guess the, I, in the long explanation I gave is that's my kind of my methodology. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle, and you're working your way from different sides to get the jigsaw puzzle all together and make it cohesive. You know, there's there's not necessarily one way. You know, you have a main theme, and then you kind of say, "Oh, well, man, I I now see a thing." On the you know when we have the recapitulation of the of the piece, uh, I I hear this being that down there and go to that and it's like okay now I kind of hear something in the middle and now oh my gosh I hear the ending now and then you write the ending and then you and then once the ending's done I pretty much come back through and put all the icing on the cake right you nice. know then I can co- come back and then like put everything into the place once I know exactly where it's going to end up mm-hmm. and where it's going to end then I'm I'm clear. I'm clear on everything else, yeah. you know, because at that point you have the frame around it. Now you have the frame around everything, and you see where everything fits in the frame. You know, does that make sense? That's yeah, lovely. I, I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I heard a, a metaphor once of a uh, James Woodard uh, uh, up at SIUE said, uh, uh, "You know, it, it's like taking a simple country girl to the ball." <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she's lovely, but she's plain, and you're going to put her in this gown. You know, and just and it's going to be this lovely evening. You know, right. uh, from from the countryside to the to the castle, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that I, I that's a that's a good metaphor. I mean, I've heard a number any number of metaphors about this stuff, but I mean, I, I always use the jigsaw puzzle thing. Yeah. Is that it's it's you gotta you gotta start on the easy piece, easy things, and then you work your way in. And that's why a lot of times I have guys when they first start with me, they have to transcribe. I make them do a transcription first because transcribing is almost identical to writing something is that there's stuff you hear here you you're hearing it here in your mind first exactly and you hear transcribing and you get the easy things you get the whole all the measures you count the measures you count you know, one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, and you get every single measure laid out on the page. Right. It's it can be tedious, yes, but you get it laid out on the page. Then you start filling in the notes and you get the easy ones. You get the easy ones first. And then you'd be surprised how easy it gets because oh, this sounds like this. And now these two things sound like this, and so I can transcribe that. And now these three things, this most difficult thing, sounds like these three things kind of put together. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, that's how it was composed. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's- so, so yeah, when I, when I have taught like you know music appreciation classes, you get to people like list, you know, and you know you're, you're trying to explain to the class, you know, you know this is a transcription, right? And, right. And and it, it you know it, it's. To me, uh, teaching context or not, you know, it, it's it's kind of a reverse composition. 
right? Oh, that's uh, what I call it. You know, because it, it, it's... That's what I call it, yeah. You know, you get to, you know, really kind of hear what, you know, Beethoven might have heard and, and those yes. as he was writing before all the orchestration and everything like that. It just happens to be a little right. fancier because it's list. You know? Right. But, that's, you know. well, but that's exactly what I call it. I was just, I, I gave a lesson to uh, this uh, girl who's a very talented girl who's writing for the big, the number one band at North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, which is a pretty good college band. It's quite good. And um, I, I, I talked to her about that thing, and I said, you have to do some transcribing. And I said, it's reverse composition. It's reverse composing. Is that you're hearing it, you're, you're coming this way, and then you're taking the pen and putting it back on the page. Right. Yeah. So it's not being pulled off the page. You're putting it on the page, right. and you are internalizing it and then putting it on the page. And so you can envision it. It's not just. It's not just. Yeah, yeah. I've looked at the score. I mean, we can talk about looking at scores about what's interesting and so on, but I don't know if I've really. There's some scores I remember in terms of looking at it and everything, but I'm going to tell you what the stuff I can actually visualize when I hear it comes through me transcribing. Right. Because I've got it here. I've got the sound. It's like I hear that sound. It's like oh, I know exactly what that is because I have put it on paper and it's this. You know, and there's no other, there's kind of no other way around it to me. You know, I mean, you can, you can sit there and mess around with, uh, you can mess around with a, a, a MIDI program or a, those kinds of things all you want, but in terms of accuracy and really getting it and really, really knowing it, really knowing exactly the way it is, is that you have to do that. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that, and, and I have no, bones about whether it's jazz or pop or whatever and one of the things that um i I mean it it seems like a parlor parlor trick but it's not is that and i'm not a great piano player but i i i I can visualize the piano i I have very good relative pitch i don't have good i don't have perfect pitch but you know i have very good relative pitch but so in the class that the class that i was teaching in berlin two classes it was two levels it was level three and four of ear training Mm -hmm. in their program at that school undergraduate and um so i i they said well you know it's we're not a jazz school these are commercial music degrees which i knew coming in there and i said don't worry about it i know a lot of tunes Mm -hmm. and so um and so that's what I did. And then I had the kids bring in their tunes too, because some of them are, are reasonably talented. Mm-hmm. And and or I said, if you if you're not writing anything, then um, bring in something from you know your hometown in Amsterdam or from London, as there were a bunch of international students in that in that class. And so they'd bring stuff in, and so they would play on their iPhone or do something, or we'd hook it up to the speakers and they'd play through it, or or it would be on YouTube. And so. Uh, you know they play it and and me and I and I'd say well do any of you hear it and there might be a, a a couple of suggestions oh well I hear this and I hear that and then and then I would start messing with it at the keyboard and I said you hear this you don't hear this and and uh, and they're, they they start kind of correcting themselves and then finally I'd say well it's this and I'd go through like the whole tune uh-huh. and they're like how did you do that it's like well I've been doing it a long time right. I can visualize it. I can listen to it, and I can automatically visualize it. And I know, you know, I know what key center we're in. And from the key center, there's a formula of the key center of all the different modes in the key center, and the borrowing from other modes. And so I kind of, I can do it 
at the very least by formula mm -hmm. you know so um you know that i mean that's the best thing in terms of them being able to you know no, look, there are people that do this. There are the Donald Fagans and the the Stings and the, you know, Stuart Copelands and the Paul McCartneys that, I mean, they do this. They, yeah. they can go through tunes. They can listen to a tune once or twice down and go, oh, okay, it's that, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's not, and it's, and it's not a surprise, right. you know, and it's, it's really important. So that, you know, the whole idea, that whole, that whole idea of, um, of how you go about composing I don't know. It's no different than me hearing a tune and taking apart, listening to the tune once down and, and taking it apart. You know, and it's especially important, I mean, kind of on a little bit different subject, but it's important, is that I, I'm, I'm super disappointed every time this situation comes up where, um, where kids have tunes from a fake book and then the recording and the fake book is like wildly off from the recording. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really poorly done. I mean, really poorly done, and and that takes a lot of correction, you know. And I and I found that to be true. I, you know, I was trying to. There were several different tunes on that uh, Songs of Berlin project that I'm that we're recording in just a few weeks in Berlin. Um, almost every single stinking modern fake book tune, like the David Bowie tune, uh, uh where are we now was wrong from the original record um the um oh who's the guy uh the 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 velvet underground guy that wrote that tune berlin uh, lou uh lou yeah lou, lou, reed. Reed. lou reed that was wrong in the fake book uh You're talking like published like yes published like they were like, i went to the library down the street uh, i went to i went three three uban stops down from our apartment and there was a really good library public yeah. library that i could check out a lot of different fake books and stuff and so i got everything like all the older stuff from like I had to do a Hildegard Kneff tune from like 1965. Like, like those tunes, that tune, the Kurt Vile stuff was accurate. The thing Berliner Luft before it was accurate. But anything that was post like 1965, which was about four or five tunes, they were really off. What, what, what do you think? They were, what was tripping them up? You think the guy? I don't. I don't know. I, I I don't know what they were doing. But <laughs> but these are published fake books. Wow. But that and and um the the Pink Floyd tune was wrong too. Hmm. Uh the uh, uh Great Day for Freedom hmm. that tune that was wrong. I and I and I wow. and I was like well. Like 80, 70% of this might be right, but, you know, and I had to go to Mark, of course, and say, Mark, I, you know, we're going with the recording. Yeah. I'm not going with the fake book. We're yeah. going with what's right, with, yeah. with what Pink Floyd actually did, because that's what's right. That's what they ended up with in the studio. So, so ultimately, you have to make some good decisions based on the information given to you, and half of that information may be bad information. Yeah. Are you still writing by hand, or do you use all notation software? I do. I will sit down and, and transcribe certain aspects by hand on a lead sheet, mm -hmm. but when it comes down to after I've kind of got things planned out on the, on the lead sheet, and or if it's an arrangement of a tune, mm -hmm. I'll make notes on the lead sheet of the Cole Porter thing or whoever's tune it is, I'll make a bunch of notes and put all my substitutions in and everything and then write new 
melody notes or alternate melody notes that I want. Um, so I'll get that all laid out and have that right by my table. And then I start orchestrating and start doing stuff. And by that, yeah, pretty much after that, I'm, I'm pretty much on the computer. What, 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 what's, your, uh, what, what's your notation software of choice? Well, I use Encore still. A lot of people don't use really? it. Really? Yeah, I do use Encore. I, I started on it. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, Encore I still use. I've, I've gotten all the updates and everything, and um, it's just the easiest for me to use, mm -hmm. um, especially it, it, I, I think it works well on a Mac, and so I like using yeah. it. I, you know, and I know people. Of course, the the, the industry standard is Finale, and um, Sibelius. Sibelius is another one that a lot of people use. Encore is I'm like a Finale Sibelius. man here. Maybe we can get all these coming. I know, to right? Send us a check. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Encore. So is it? I mean, is that still viable? Is that still? Are they still going? Yeah, I know the CEO. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he's a cello player, and he's in Philadelphia. That was my—I mean—that was my first uh, notation software. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the—it was the first one that got switched over from the old DOS kind of crappy thing to the new what you experience yeah. now yeah. in terms of graphically looking correct. Uh, whatever they call that level of. Uh, you know whatever they call it in, in computer ease um, but that was the first one to be able to do that uh, you know unfortunately Encore was too wishy-washy about making a decision of whether they wanted to have whether they were going to make it a um, kind of mixing sound program right. or a notation program and you can't really for Mass marketing, you can't have both right. because it takes up, as you know, it takes up way too much of a hard, a hard drive, mm -hmm. and, it, and it takes up, uh, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, we might have to edit all this because <laughs> they're geeking out over. <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, wasn't Encore the uh, the the mini driver for Finale for a while or something? Uh, well, that was words, uh, well. I'm not sure that was exactly what that was, but I think Finale took the idea from Encore and then said, we are going to be the notation program. Okay. Is right. what it, and, and that's what they did. And that's why Finale was able to saturate the market because they said, we are going to be the biggest, baddest, best notation program. We're not going to fool with all this other stuff and have MIDI and all this other. And Encore tried to be too many things at hmm. once. And you can't do that. Now, when it comes to Finale, it's gotten better, but Finale was making it very difficult because they had so many layers of things within mm -hmm. Finale. It was kind of hard to navigate through Finale through the program itself because there were just too many things in as a notation program. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not... It's it, it's really designed for a publishing company. It right, is. Right, That's it. It is that... And there are... Excuse me. Very good notation or um, um, engravers is what is the name for right. the person. I, I know several guys who, when I was working for Warner Brothers, um, I would send them an XML file, and then they would have to make my XML file into a Finale program because I right. was using Encore. And uh, like, there's a friend of mine. Uh, uh, John, what's John's last name? He's based from Bone Player, but he's up in Chicago, and he's a guru at Finale. 
and I and he did about three or four of my Warner Brothers scores, and um, you you have to be able to negotiate through it. And you know, I I have an old version of I have an old version of finale. I have to make PDFs. Yeah. In the end, I have to be my own copyist, and mm-hmm. I have to make the. P- I have to get it. I have to spit it out. I have to then make PDFs and then send it off. And if there's a problem, I've got to correct it. But so ultimately, my PDF file is you know the the, the published file is what it ends up being. Right. Exactly. You know, uh, so I'm I'm in a, I'm a, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage when you talk about Encore and using Encore because. Um, most people use Finale, you know, or or and more and more people use Sibelius than they do Encore. So yeah, I don't I, know. I started on Encore. I loved it. It was yeah, and then uh, Finale was kind of a mysterious, right? Far, you know, I, I uh, yeah, and then I, I latched on to Sibelius. Is kind of what was my thing. So sure, Encore to Sibelius. Yeah, it's more intuitive. As the Sibelius thing is a little bit more intuitive, like Encore is. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd sh- shoot if if uh, if. <laughs> I always think that if if Richard, the CEO of Encore, if he goes away, if he passes before I do, then I'm kind of screwed, <laughs> you know. So, because I'm just afraid that nobody's going to have want to want to carry the 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 company forward and and deal with it. But no matter that's so. Yeah, that's what I use. Is that so? Yeah. What's the future looking like for you as far as like you you're spending uh, time abroad and time back in Memphis and. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different things. Um, uh, uh, Oksana and I have, uh, now she's just turned 17. We have a 17-year-old kid. It's my stepdaughter, her daughter. And we're trying to get her through the Hochschuler, the high school level of stuff. And uh, so she has options to either go to school here uh, or go to school there in Berlin. Um, Both Oksana and I have uh, gigs over there. So um, I don't know. I well, we, we we were just talking about this the other day in terms of um, uh, what are we going to be doing five years from now? And you know, I don't know exactly. Um, you know, I it it depends what the future holds. I don't know. I mean, I'm still at my job here, and they they're gracious about not imposing on me when I'm off contract because professors really are. We have nine-month contracts, though we're, you know, we our pay gets distributed over twelve right. months, but we are on a nine-month contract, and and you know, especially when I came to my sabbatical and the the offer of going to Berlin and everything, I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I've wanted to tap into that market and do writing over there, and possibly mm-hmm. get on with a couple of the different big bands over there. So, um, I don't know, Carl. We're kind of playing it by ear right now a little bit. You know, I'm just kind of going project to project and, and trying to do some collaborations with some people. You know, I'd like to, like I said, we were talking about earlier, is that I'd like to get uh, the the uh, album Berg thing possibly going. I'd, I wouldn't mind getting someone interested in doing an album of, you know, all of my originals, you know, yeah. over there. I wouldn't mind doing another uh, album with my professional big band, which that's been 10 years, more than 10 years now that I've been able to do that, uh, you know, here in Memphis. 
but again i've, I've got to get get some more gigs and do some things to you know get that band up and running some more which and that's is been a little bit the jazz orchestra of the delta right the, that that's who you used to cut the uh, cole porter right the cole porter there. album which did well that's it actually did. when you and I first met. I don't know right. if you remember. Uh, down, you did a, an arranging clinic when I was an undergrad at University of Southern Mississippi. Okay, and right. You were, you yeah, were yeah, yeah, yeah. In the oh, middle yeah. of that, just came out or something like right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was talking right. with Larry Pinella. Right. Yeah, right. And and that album did well. And and you know it, it it's tough because paying seventeen guys is tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just not easy. It's like a small company. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, basically, yeah, she was, yeah. So, um, I, and I've been trying to get on with G Pack and trying to. Uh, I've got to talk to, um, uh, Ron over at the Halloran Center. I've known Ron a while, and I've uh, been trying to deal with the Levitt Shell, and it's been challenging. It's, I mean, the, going back to the whole thing, it, and this is part of what you're talking about, is that, um, it's been. While there have been advantages of being both here and in Berlin, there was a slight disadvantage, and I knew it was coming, is that when I took the sabbatical, is that everybody thought I'd just gone. Oh, gosh. I'd left. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, you don't, want, you don't know what a sabbatical is, I guess. You, you're not very clear <laughs> on what's going on here. And so, um, I kind of, it snuffed out all my gigs here, you know. I I was like you know come back and like there are no casuals there's no nothing because people are well you you moved Ugh. it's like no I didn't move I I'm coming back and teaching so you know when people see me traveling and so they well you moved again it's like no I'm not moving I'm just I do a lot of travel there's right. I'm on a plane a lot so um you know so I they don't understand I mean they I guess they understand it a little bit more with someone like Kirk Whalem or someone like that. They, they they get it because that that's a more prominent personality who's out there. Just, but just say you're going on tour. You know, well, right, and that's that. right, <laughs> and that's what I should that's what I should say that I'm just going on, I'm tour, going on tour. I'm going on tour because yeah, because everybody everybody thinks I'm moving or something, and it's like, well, yeah. no, I'm not. I'm I just I we we literally have a house here. I we you know, and we we designed the situation. We designed our, our environment to to work in what we're doing is that we had that house in Cordova. I, gosh, I own that house for what, 16 years or something. And, um, we had sold that house. We sold the house because we knew that we needed to not be paying insurance, not be paying for a lot of stuff anymore. And, um, I needed to move closer to the university. And so I did, I just, I'm just South of the university. I can ride my bike into work when it's warmer. And, uh, um, and and then we have we're, we're renting that house and our our the the cost is a lot further down because you're not paying for a lot of things and not having to put a new roof on a house and repairs and stuff. That's the landlord. And then we have an apartment in Berlin, and we were able to get. We've been very very lucky. Knock on wood. We've been very very fortunate because the two different apartments we've had in Berlin were reasonably cost, and we got them in a very timely manner. So we kind of designed our lives, the three of us, my daughter, my wife, we kind of designed it so we could do that and we could do projects in Europe. That's great. To do that. So so I you know, it, it, it takes a little explanation sometimes right. for people to understand, but you know, I, you know, my wife really pushed me hard to do that because she wanted to do it. She's you know, and the other thing is is for someone 
for someone who speaks five languages, I mean, she speaks wow. five languages fluently. I mean, Memphis is just not a, that kind of, right? You know, I mean, I hate to sound like that, but it's just not. You know that that Berlin is much more oh. to what she is and what she does, and she's a classical mm-hmm. pianist. And there's much more of a classical music scene in Berlin. Right. You know, it's much more thriving, and it always has been, and always will be in terms of that. In fact, it's a bigger scene than the jazz scene. But um, so you know, once I explain it to people, and it's somewhat hard for them to understand it, it's a challenge for us as a family, and personally, it's a challenge. But you know that's what we do you know yeah. we we have that going on so um to kind of kind of put your question into a a, a package um you know it, it we're we're moving in a direction yeah you know what i mean so it could stay the same or you could be full time europe or it could be I don't know. But whatever. But but it's it's I, it, but I it's work. Know. You're making it work. You, do do yeah. you blog on that? Do you are you kind of sharing your experience of being uh, bifurcated? You know. Yeah, well, that, 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 well, I don't. I, well, I mean, I I don't necessarily blog, but I mean, I, I mean, when people ask, there are people who PM me and talk to me about it, and I'll I'll give my reflections on it because they'll ask questions about well how's this and how's that and what's going on with this and that yeah you know i got asked a bunch of questions this weekend in north carolina when i was doing master classes and stuff you know and i tried to give some reflection on the culture there and what people think there and um you know in a musical sense and then of course in a wider sense because people always ask about that because unfortunately um I, I you know I, I'm not, I'm I'm gonna I don't I don't want to sound the wrong way but we we uh, I mean for guys like you that kind of know about stuff um, there there is a certain part of our population who has clearly no idea they they well they think you go to Berlin and you're going to see Nazis or something I don't know it's, oh gosh mm. well right <laughs> right and I and I. Right, and it's like, well, well that's just not—that's not it at all. And it's—it's—it's—it's and, it's, 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 it's a wheel hub of European <laughs> happenings, man. Well, I, mean, I know. Like, well, and the, but but the other I, and the other thing is, is I have to explain to him. I said, well, that's that's long gone, and there's only one guy, one guy I know who is even old enough in Berlin to have been, you know, during that time, and he was a little kid when that was happening. He's from Berlin. He's actually a drummer, a very good drummer, and he's still has a rehearsal band there and he's been very nice to me uh shelly bertram he has two sons that are just in their 40s and so um but the point is is that he's the only guy i know of that age bracket right literally now when you start to talk about more people that are actually walking on the street that are more in my age in their 50s or in their 40s you know that look when you start to talk to those people, they have no connection to the 1930s. Yeah. They have no connection to the 1940s. Yeah. They know that from history books, just as you and I would know it from history books. Now, they do, it's interesting, they do have a they, a, uh, a kind of a connection uh, to their past or their present um, to the wall falling. Yeah. The wall being up and the wall falling. Right. And um, I've heard some very interesting stories from guys my age that were born around that time when the wall went up, and some horrifying stories, in fact, of yeah. uh, families being split up and then finally brought back together. And the thing I talk to people about saying is that, look, time after time after time, 
both my wife and I, and she, she talks to a lot of Russian-speaking people, and she speaks much better German than me, her, her, because she's spending much more time over there than I am, and Anna does too. Um, but the point is, is that you talk to person after person after the person, and they can reflect on that. And they reflect in a positive way about the wall falling and the reunification, and saying, finally, that silly, stupid idiotic i can use a lot of other expletives right now yeah wall um is gone and our families are just back together well finally we've been able to put all our families back together and we're not we don't have the government in our hair yeah and if you start to understand that culture and you understand that those people like that you know it's 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 kind of interesting because they don't understand us in terms of this bifurcation there is still a bifurcation from what is it now? Gosh, almost, more than 150 years of the Civil War, and we're still in, yeah. in culturally. We are. I mean, let's admit it, guys. Yeah. I mean, that's still happening in terms, and they don't get it. They don't want to get it. They're like, we don't. What are you talking about? Like the wall falls here. We want to get back together, east and west. We just don't. We want that gone. Mm-hmm. Now, now culturally, it's different from north to south. It is different with south being a little bit more if not a, more conservative by the time you get to austria than to the north berlin cologne uh hamburg you know yeah. those cities are much more liberal type of northern cities um so there is a kind of a relationship that we share with them in that way but but still they're much more unified uh, in many ways than we are here in terms of the way we think about things. Again, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get necessarily into the politics of it or anything, but but it's kind of hard to explain to people. It's like, you know, I, I hear people talking to me about Germany. It's like, so you've been to Germany? like Because they seem so knowledgeable. I'm like, so, and I'm not trying to be a smartass. It's like, so you've been to Germany? Oh, well, I've never been there, but it's like, well, you're talking to someone who lives there. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I don't know what to... And, and and mind you, I haven't been to every single city in Germany. I've been to several, of course. And I've been all over, over Europe to di- different cities. And each city's a little different. You know, each region's a little different. So, I mean, someone talking about that over here and talking about what Germany is or isn't, or France is or isn't, or, you know, it's like, well, you don't... I, I don't know, yeah. you know, so it, it, it pours, you know, trying to get it back into, you know, what we're talking about in terms of musical projects and everything, is that when I try and talk to people about it in terms of what's going on over there and what I have to deal with in terms of continuing on projects and everything, you know, I have to be somewhat sensitive to those kinds of things. I mean, I've got some funny stories about some interaction with people, um, one in particular I can tell you that's that's kind of funny in a strange way, but uh, and their perception of Americans. Oh yeah, this is this is their perception. So, so it's the first week that I'm teaching at the Hochschule der Popular and Kunst, the Hadi Picard they call it, and uh, so that that uh, th- that building. And in fact, my new apartment is right here on Hauptstrasse or uh, at Grunewaldstrasse, and Hauptstrasse is here, and so um, this corner of which is a main big two huge streets um the the hadipika is in the sixth floor of this building now in this park behind here is the judicial building it used to be their supreme court building it's now their regional building judicial Mm -hmm. building but this used to be the supreme court building and that was where they signed off jews to be sent to the concentration camps Mm. 
to the death camps. So it has, there is a history. And that's where the Potsdam Agreement was also signed too, the, the one that before the, when Perestroika was going on, they used that building to do that as a symbolic thing. Now we're making peace finally. Wow. Okay. So that's that corner. And so I am, it's about two weeks into me teaching. It's a really beautiful day in October. And I'm looking out and you can see into the Schoenberg area of, uh, of Berlin and um, so I'm looking out, and my boss comes walking up, Robert Lingnauer. Robert's a super nice guy. And, but he says, oh, what are you doing? I said, well, it's such a beautiful thing in that building. So, and Robert immediately chimes in. He says, do you know what that building is? Mm. I'm like, uh, yeah, I have an idea. And he said, well, you know, that's... And he, and he was... He says immediately, he goes, well, you know, that's the judicial building, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this is where they did the paperwork. You know, big frown. They did the paperwork here, and that. Hey, so. they they did the paperwork. They did the paperwork in this building on this corner. But now, but now, but now, it's a we have arts and music in this building, and you know, part of the building is the the Kunstuniversität, and then the Hadipika here. You see, we've changed. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, so right. Cool. So he said, you know, That's he's cool. got his American person here. <laughs> He's got the American person here that he's going to, you know, and I'm like, I get it, I get it. Now, that didn't happen only that one time. It happened two more times with two mm-hmm. other faculty members. When I was, I was between classes having a coffee and I'm wow. looking out the back window and looking at the view. And do you know what that building is? Yeah, yeah, I know what that building is. <laughs> okay, I get it. You know, so you, you see there's a, you know, of what they perceive as yeah. what, you know, what they hear roundabout coming from our news or our perception of things. And I've had that in Russia too, because you know, my wife's Russian, she's from Habarovsk. And I've had that perception or that reaction from Russians saying, well, you know, we're really nice people. Yeah, I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) I know you are. I know you are. Don't, you don't have yeah. to convince me of you know any of that and everything, so I you know it's yeah. it's kind of sad in a way because it's uh, it, that's that's one of those those things that you have to deal with when going to other places and other countries and so on. You know when I just did that, you probably saw. I think you may have reacted to it, or, or maybe both of you, is that right before school started, the, the this semester started, I was in Bogota, Colombia for about five days, mm. and um. Gosh, everybody's reaction when I was going down there was, um, oh, man, you know, the drug loads are going to get kidnapped. Oh, gosh. No, that was back in the 1980s. You know, that was was a number of, you know. Pablo Escobar is going to get you. Right. (laughs) What? And it's not that way. No, there's a lot of traffic and they've got their problems, but it's not, Mm. but that's not happening. Yeah. Right now, they've gotten far more control over the country and what's going on, and you can kind of see it um, uh, in a, in a in a good way. But they they have police presence on the, you know, we went downtown a couple of times uh, where the, uh, you know, Bogota is an, it, again, it's a unique city. It's high up in altitude. It's essentially like uh, Denver. Oh wow! And it's in a big bowl. You know, so it's very enclosed, and the traffic is very enclosed, which is a real big drag. But it's surrounded by mountains, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful city that way. But um, it keeps things enclosed, and um, when you go downtown, there's a lot of people just packed into a small space. Um, so they 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 have security and police presence. 
like um, one of, one of the days they took me downtown to see uh, it's the uh, Museum del Oro. That's the gold museum. Yeah, and um, it's it's incredible. It's phenomenal because it's all the gold that was mined and made into jewelry and everything oh. and religious. Uh, artifacts uh, from that whole area down through the Peruvian mountains because they were because that's one of the most uh, in any area of the world it's the it it had the most gold most platinum most silver and in the Andes Mm -hmm. uh, along that coast so um, you know there was real police presence there nobody messing around you know around those museums because it's around kind of like uh, their Lincoln Center area mm-hmm. of museums and so on in Bogota. So, um, you know, it's not... And, and and the students were terrific. It was really, really a great visit, yeah. you know. And, and the composition seminars I had, I had two different composition seminars I did. And then I d- directed their big band and uh, did a couple of other classes. They were just... Fan- everything was great. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and that's... You know, when I've been in Austria or teaching in Germany, uh, teaching in uh, Brazil, teaching in uh, Bogota most recently, you know, everything's, it's all been about the same. All the kids are good and the teachers are good and everybody's trying to do the right thing. So um, whenever I hear these projections, when I hear some kind of projection, it's like, well, I've been there, and that's not my experience. Right. You know, I've actually been there. And, and you're going to find some people who are difficult to deal with everywhere, and then there are mostly cooperative people, you know. So, uh, you, know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of difficulties, in terms of the projection of what I'm going to do next or next or next or next, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. It, you you kind of roll the dice in some ways. It was a big roll of the dice to move to Berlin and be able to uh, find an apartment and be able to consistently be there, you know, for years to come. I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to do. So that's exciting. Well, if you start a blog on that, I'm going to check that out. That, okay. That's, 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 <laughs> and uh, as far as prospective students wanting to check you and, and the university out, what, what's what's the uh, what's the, the best typical way to to do that? Well, you can look online. Um, of course, uh, memphis.edu and just go into uh, the School of Music. Uh, right now, we're trying to do a little bit of uh, alteration, some different things with the jazz page because now Sam's replaced Tim. And Sam Shoop. Sam Shoop. Yeah, yes. He's there. And then also uh, uh, Mike Schultz is there new, and um, that's changed things uh, for the better. It has. And... Um, uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have to show the offerings that are real as opposed to the old stuff, and I've got to change that. But it's pretty accurate, and you can get a hold of us through those email contacts at memphis.edu and uh, see what we do. You yeah. know, all, all my my bios there, and everybody else's bio, and all the stuff that we do. Yeah, who, so, who are the guitarists now again in the jazz department? That is. Well, it's a couple of different people. Is that uh, we have Logan, who's one of our graduates, right. and 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 Ted is doing the jazz Ted now. Yeah, Ted Ludwig. Yeah, he's stopped by here a couple times. Yeah, right. So yeah, Ted is doing mainly the jazz thing, and he's really purely a jazz player. That's what he does. And then um, Logan is you know does a number of things, and he does the uh, the the Stratocaster kind of you know right 
pop stuff and Logan, things like that. Logan Hanna. Logan Hanna yeah. Yeah, is great his player. name. Yeah, yeah he's player. a fine yeah. player. He's very proud of him. He's done well. So uh, that's kind of who we have, you know, dealing with things right now. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah, it works well. Anything else? Mr. About, Bass? About wraps it up. But, man... Professor Dr. Jack, thank you so much for hanging well, out. Well, thank with us today. you guys. This is, yeah. It's yeah. been a delightful romp in, in in all of it. This is uh um yeah, again, I, I, I hope I hope you, you maybe, you know, judiciously uh make more of your uh bifurcation between here and, and Germany. I mean I, I find I find that fascinating. And, well, I appreciate uh, and, that. and uh I mean it would be a I mean as as an artist, yeah, of course the, the lovely thing that music has afforded you to to do that and to just go around the world. Well, I've thought about thing, writing yeah. some stories down sometimes and and I I I, I maybe maybe your encouragement <laughs> will make me sit down when I have a few minutes and do that is write some different uh, you know musings about things and say oh this this happened at this time or this yeah. so yeah terrific thank yeah, you thank again. you right, thank you. yeah thank you guys absolutely yeah I hope from listening uh, especially if you're a music student practice. <laughs> <laughs> If you're if you're gonna do this thing called music, it take it takes a little bit of work. Actually, we've heard that from everyone so far. We've Every talked to single person. It, it, no you, one just showed up and 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 grabbed the mic and said, "You know what? This is easy." Although I did just see that when I watched the documentary about Oasis, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much just like <laughs> the one brother got hit in the head with a hammer and he became a rock star, <laughs> literally. So practice. Okay, but no. <laughs> For the rest of us, you got to (laughs) practice. No, but Jack, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Cooper, for hanging out with us. That was, uh, like I said, the the guy has thought about some things, and he is a full-time working educator, professional arranger, and performer. He's doing it all. He's doing it. Yeah. It's all to say thanks to Dr. Cooper for hanging out with us. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We sure did.